0: Wendell's world in sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. In An entertaining a provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play, our game. All right, Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. Wendell Wallace. Oh, So what's happening? What's going on? Welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I hope everybody is doing well. Time to discuss what's going down in the world of sports. Bonjour. Que pasa? Hola, mi amigos. Mi amo eh, Wendell Wallace. Come on, television. vous Très A vous, même, For all the folks listening out there in my the motherland of Africa, for those who are listening in Perth, Australia, for those who are listening in New York City, in the United States of America, for those who are listening all over in Canada, what is going on, y'all? What is happening? So good to be here. So good to be talking about what's going down in the world of sports. Man, I've got, uh, first of all, for those of my brothers and sisters in the United States, I want to say a happy Memorial Day. Be safe. Be smart. Use common sense. Remember where we are right now in terms of this coronavirus. We are not out of the woods. The light at the end of the tunnel doesn't mean we're at the end of the tunnel. Don't do anything stupid. Don't do anything reckless. Don't do anything ridiculous. Remember, we still have... A little bit ways to go in terms of finally getting over this thing so we can get to some type of normalcy. So please, for those who are going to be out and about this Memorial Day weekend, please use some common sense. Please be safe. Please take precaution. All right. You got it. Everything cool. Everything good. Fantastic. Wonderful. Ah, today on the podcast, I got some updates on the possibility of what's happening in terms of sports starting or resuming. i some got some stuff from Major League Baseball I want to talk about now. It's a situation where they're going to be, you know what, Major League Baseball, I'll get to that a little bit later. I'll get to my thoughts and opinions about the importance of Major League Baseball, why it has to be the first major sports organization or a major sports league that has to begin first before the NBA, before the NHL. It has to go on this season. I'll explain that. Also, I want to get into my thoughts and opinions about When the NBA is going to be starting college football, once again, too big, too important to these communities, to these schools to be postponed or to be canceled. So my thoughts and feelings about that, I'll give it to you. And then, of course, finally, the end of it all, the last dance, the documentary about the Chicago Bulls, episodes 9 and 10. Are you like me, man? Are you suffering Jordan fatigue? Are you just done with it? It's like, all right, it's done. It's finished. Put it away. I don't want to talk about Jordan. I don't want to hear about Jordan. I don't want to talk about Jordan the basketball player, how great he was and this, that, the other, the Bulls dynasty of the 1990s, which was what, 20 years ago? Enough, 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 enough. Now, Michael Jordan, a public figure. Michael Jordan, the owner of the Charlotte Bobcats. Michael Jordan, that type of thing. Sure, no problem. We can go ahead and talk about that. But just in terms of Michael Jordan, the basketball player, the dick sucking that took place during this 20-hour documentary about the Chicago Bulls and mainly the greatness of Michael Jordan. I've had enough. I've had enough. I've had enough. Time to move on. I'm actually going to tell you, in the podcast a little bit later on about, you know, LeBron's relationship with Michael Jordan. Or Michael Jordan's uh, relationship with LeBron James and how it compares to Kobe Bryant. Why I think that Michael Jordan had a little bit more of a more opening, a more warmth of a relationship with Kobe Bryant than he did with, Michael Jor- with um, LeBron James. It's based on a healthy, respectful fear that Michael Jordan has of the legacy and the importance and the impact. Of what LeBron James is doing right now in this world that we live in in the year 2020. So those things I'll get into today in the world of sports, man. But let's start off, as I mentioned before, some updates on the possibility of sports starting or resuming. Of course, I'm talking about Major League Baseball now. According to the Sports Business Program at Washington University in St. Louis, Major League Baseball is roughly losing about $75 million per day, so they're hoping the season to start sometime around July 4th. Of course, as of right now, concerning that matter, the Major League Baseball Players Union are receiving and contemplating the league coronavirus safety proposals for the upcoming season, 2020 season, if there is going to be a season this year in Major League Baseball. The important note about the safety proposal when Major League Baseball was putting this plan together, this was interesting to know. when Major League Baseball was putting all of this together in terms of what they need to do for the players to come back and be safe and minimize the risk of of, uh, catching the coronavirus, none of the health officials for the big league cities were were consulted. So they didn't consult with any of the critical decision makers the league was counting on to execute the plan. Some of these people included those who have the power to shut down the sport in their communities during the emergency. I don't know if any of these guys talked to any of the governors. I don't know if any of these guys talked to those in the CDC. I don't know if any of these guys talked to anybody who might know anything concerning this Concerning this virus and what we need to do to go forward, I have no idea, but according to the report, it says that the Major League Baseball owners put this thing together without the consultation of any of these people. So if you're the players, you're sitting there saying, okay, now um, why exactly are we going to trust you guys to say, sure, no problem, in terms of also committing to a quote-unquote salary cap and spitting in the eye of Kurt Flood and Marvin Miller and Tom Glavitton and all these guys who fought for the rights that we have as baseball players to make a living in terms of the current uh, stipulations that we have in force. While we're going to be compromising that, now you're going to be giving us a plan in terms of having us be as as safe as possible from this virus. And you didn't consult anybody who knew anything about this? And you want us in the next 48 hours, 24 hours to say, yeah, no problem. July 4th, here we come. Yeah. I mentioned again, as I said in another podcast, when it comes down to the PR game and who's going to get blamed, the players or the owners, if the season doesn't start in Major League Baseball, I said it's going to be siding on the players because they're whining and they're complaining about having to accept something of a salary cap. And that people out here in the United States and in Canada and Bangladesh and Vietnam and the Philippines and Africa and Asia and all those continents in between are sitting up there struggling right now. Folks are up there losing their mortgages, losing their houses, losing their uh, finances because of this pandemic that we're going through right now. And they're going to sit here and read about players who are not going to be accepting salary. A salary cap, which means that there's going to be reduction in their salaries. Guys who are already making 35 30 20 $10, 5000000 million. And you have a guy out here in Bangladesh. You have a guy out here in Vancouver. You have a guy out here in Jacksonville, Florida, who is losing their jobs, who are losing their paychecks, who are losing their abilities to earn a living and that type of thing because of this pandemic and we're supposed to be siding with these guys because heaven forbid, instead of making, I don't know, $25 million this year, these poor baseball players are going to have to settle for only making $5, $6, 7000000 million. Yeah, I can see again why the public relations would be, you know what, we're siding with the owners. But if the owners are going to do something like this and not take the time and not do their due diligence to cross all of their T's and dot all of their I's and then put something in front of the players to say, yeah, don't worry about it. We're really interested in making sure that you remain as safe as possible from this virus. Oh, by the way, we didn't consult anybody in terms of what is the safest, safest way to do this. Then I can understand a little bit how the public relations swing can go from damn these players to damn what the owners are doing trying to put their employees, which baseball players are, High-priced employees, but what are these owners trying to do putting their employees in any type of dangers, Or at least not maximizing the opportunity for these guys to work in their environment, to work in the workplace as safe as as possible. So that was was quite surprising to me. Now, the Major League Baseball and the owners are sitting there talking about, look, when we get everything as far as concrete is concerned... With this um, proposal in terms of the safety situations, then we'll go ahead and we'll talk to the experts to see where we need to go from there. Again, swinging back to the players. Well, why are you waiting till the thing is already written down? Why are you waiting until there's a first rough draft for us to dismiss or reject? And then you're going to come back and work with the CDC and others who know what they're talking about to put together something a little bit better? What the hell is all that about? I mean, why don't you do that to begin with? Look, baseball, we're talking about billionaires. And people didn't become billionaires by being stupid. But I I don't understand the logic formulating on that one. We're going to go ahead and we're going to, you know, talk about strengthening the the safety plans once the first draft is done. Once the first draft is complete. So it's like, okay, once again, baseball says it's going to look for approval from those When the plan is complete, now testing will be of utmost importance, of course. According to the Harvard Global Health Institute, it recommends states conduct at least 152 tests per day for every 100,000 people. Now, only four of the 17 states with Major League Baseball teams currently meet that standard based on a seven-day average of testing results complied by the COVID tracking project. Another possible obstacle, of course, as I mentioned before, not only are we dealing with the safety issues, which I'm quite sure after this nonsense going down to the players, if I'm a baseball player, I'm going to be a little bit leery of anything in terms of what the union puts in front of me as making sure that I'm going to be as safe as possible from this virus after this first news came out that, you know, you put together something and you didn't even check with anybody. Am I going to make sure that the president of our players union, whoever that is, when we get this proposal, are you going to then, before you give it to me, just a rank and file player of the president and those in charge of the players union, are you going to take this proposal in terms of the safety regulations that the owners have given to us? Are you going to take this over to somebody, an expert in this pandemic, Hell, are you going to beg and plead Tony Fauci or anybody else to take a look at this to see if it's copacetic? I mean, we have the money to pay for you on the hour for as long as you need to take to review this to make sure that this is cool. But if I'm the players union, even if the owners say, yeah, we check with this guy, these guys and those guys in terms of being experts in the pandemics uh, department, I'm still going to be able to take this proposal from the players union, take it somewhere else and double check it just to make sure that there's no okie doking with the um, owners. So, on that issue on that situation you already have a little distrust then it comes back once again to the optical for players coming back July 4th and major league baseball starting July 4th is of course the revenue under a revenue sharing plan player compensation would be would be coming from half the revenue that the, that the league would bring in In 2020 and of course some players have already said bullshit that's some bullshit that ain't happening i ain't playing i ain't going for it no 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 don't talk to me i can't go with that no so some players have openly dismissed coming back to play if they mess around with their money because of this pandemic again the players are expecting and they point to um, some contract negotiations or some contract talks some language that was written in terms of whatever happens um, going forward, and this was, I think, before the pandemic exploded like it did. But there was a situation where, where look, regardless of what happens, we're going to get paid. We're going to get a, we're going to get paid our full salary. We play two games or one hundred and sixty-two games. We're going to get our full salary. If the league is going to be playing this season, regardless of how many games it's going to be played, we are going to be getting the money that we signed on the dotted line for our contract. And Major League Baseball, the owners are sitting there going, whoa, 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 wait a minute now. I mean, we didn't know this situation was, was going to be happening. This is not a case of us locking you guys out. This is not a situation where the players are going on strike. This is a situation where it's affecting both the players and the owners. This is a situation that was not foresaw, that that you know we couldn't, Foresee what was coming down the pipe with this, we had no idea. So because of that, the owners we're losing millions of dollars. We're losing money from the TV, we're, not TV, but we're losing money from the uh, from the from the revenue that's gained by those fans walking into the stadium day in and day out. So we're losing a big chunk of money here. So if we're going to be able to play this season. We can't do it with any fans, so that's going to hurt our bottom line. We're not going to be able to play 162 games. That's going to hurt our bottom line. We're only going to play 82. So we should be able to work with you guys in harmony, and unison, about trying to put together something in terms of look, we're only going to pay you this amount of money compensated on the fact that the um, times that we're going through. And again, the players are saying F-U-C-K-Y-O-U. In fact, you've got guys like Blake Snell, the pitcher for the Atlanta, for the Atlanta Braves, for the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, you got Blake Snell basically saying that on an audio, on some on a, on, a, on something that he did uh, in terms of his thoughts and feelings about what's happening in terms of the compensation of some of the things that the owners want the players to, to capitulate to.
1: Y'all got to understand, too, because y'all going to be like, Bro, Blake, play for the love of the game, man. What's wrong with you, bro? Money should not be a thing. Bro, I'm risking my life. What do you mean it should not be a thing? It 100% should be a thing. If I'm going to play, I should be getting money I signed to be getting paid. I should not be getting half of what I'm getting paid because the season's cut in half on top of a 33% cut of the half that's already there. So I'm really getting like 25%. On top of that, it's getting taxed. So imagine how much I'm actually making to play. You know what I'm saying? Like I ain't making shit. and on top of that so all that money's gone and now I play risking my life. And and what and if I get the rona on top of that if I get the rona, guess what happens with that? Oh yeah, that stay that's in my body forever. That damage is not going to be like the damage that was done to my body, that's going to be there forever. So now I got to play with that on top of that. So y'all got I mean y'all got to understand man for me to go for me to take a pay cut is not happening because the risk is through the roof. It's a shorter season, less pet Like, bro, it's, yeah, man, I gotta, no, I gotta get my money. I'm not playing unless I get mine, okay? And that's just the way it is for me. Like, I'm sorry if you guys think differently, but the risk is way the hell higher and the amount of money I make is way lower. Why would I think about doing that?
0: Like, you know, I'm just, I'm sorry. He should be making the money. Give me the money, show me the money, let me have my money. I want all of my money, the M-O-N-E-Y, the greenbacks. Give it to me, give it all, every red cent. I want it, I need it, I earn it, gotta have it. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, baby. That's what Blake Snell basically is saying, that you know he's, he should be getting the money, he should be making because he's putting his life on the line by going back to work. Now, if, if I'm the owners in this situation, And I hear Blake Snell, the pitcher, eighth pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays say that stuff. If I'm an owner or if I'm somebody who's like on the side of the owners, I'm getting what Blake Snell said. And I'm playing that over and over and over and over again. I'm going to the public. I'm going to the masses. I'm going to the news outlets. I'm going to Fox and Fools. I'm going to all them places. And I'm playing that audio by Blake Snell over and over and over and over and over again. Because, man, you, you talking about someone with a disconnect. You talking about someone with some arrogance. You talking about someone who's just not like, what? How small is the bubble that you're living in? You should be getting the money that you should be making because he's putting his life on the line by going back to work. Damn, I'm sure glad that the uh, grocery store, the people who work in grocery stores, those who work in hospitals, those who work in nursing homes, those who are caretakers, those who are truck drivers, those who are honest police officers, those who are in emergency positions. I'm sure glad that those guys don't have the same attitude. I'm glad that those guys don't belong to the same union because I would hate to go down to Safeway. I would hate to go down to Smith's. I would hate to go down to Albertsons. I would hate to go down to a place and get some food, and have them places be closed because the workers are in there are saying, fuck that, pay me all my money. Oh, and by the way, I'm not going to work unless you do. Being an Uber driver, which I am, which in terms is putting me at risk because I'm getting people into my car. I don't know if they have the virus or not. I don't know if they're asymptomatic or not. I don't know. So I'm what you might call a part-time essential worker. Why? Because I'm driving people around who need to go somewhere. I pick people up from the grocery stores. I take people who are nurses and doctors and such to the hospitals, a hospital right down the street from me. So I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing the good work, and I'm putting myself at risk. I'm sure I ain't gaming calling up Uber, talking about you need to pay me this and you need to pay me that. Now, there hasn't been a, there hasn't been a situation where Uber is looking to cut my uh, cost or cut my, uh, my, my financial gain but still just the situation where this guy sitting, sitting up uh, sitting up here talking about Blake Snell Sitting up here talking about, oh, yeah, you know, you got to pay me all my money because, shit, I ain't going out there putting my life on the line, you know, for for, for pittance, which is only a couple of million dollars. Let me tell you something, Blake. I got some news for you, man. No matter what's going to be happening in terms of you going back to the ballpark to play, let me tell you something. You are at a much lesser risk of catching the coronavirus than those who are working at a Smith store, for those who are working in a hospital, for those who are working at nurses, for those who are working in the emergency room, for those who are Uber drivers for those who are in her nursing homes, for those who are taking care of folks. Those people are at much greater risk. Those people have much more beef and complaining to do or have the attitude that you do. And the fact that you're not going to put yourself at risk for X amount of dollars, but you will for another amount of dollars, that's weak, that's cheap, that's low, that's foolish. Come on, man. He wants his money. Even the Major League Baseball wants to go to an 82-game schedule. He's talking about... On that uh, video that he was doing, that interview that he was doing. And, and hey, look, man, I mean, you know, I, I give a guy a little bit of credit for at least coming out and carameloning it, which is basically saying what's on his mind. You know, he ain't backing down. He ain't jetering it. He ain't Jordan. He ain't Michael Jordan or Tyler Woods it in terms of, oh, no, whatever happens, we just want to go ahead and make sure because Republicans buy sneakers too. So we want to go ahead and Republicans buy cleats. So we want to, and bats and balls. So whatever you do, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to do anything. I want to be a, a, a nice, good little somebody. So I'll go out here and whatever you guys want to do, that's what I'll do. On one hand, I will give Blake Snell for coming out and expressing his views because it starts some discussion points. Maybe this was a situation where after he sounds, how ridiculous that he sounds, and maybe after he hears a couple of more arguments, maybe from a couple of different places, from a couple of different angles, and maybe use a little bit different logic, maybe his stance will soften a little bit. Maybe he will be a little bit more educated, so we won't be so hard-ass in terms of his thoughts and opinions about going back to place. I understand that you're putting your life on the line, Like, Every human being on this planet is putting their life on the line when they leave their house or when they're around somebody. So, please, I I, I understand that, but your your I don't your reality of what you're talking about just doesn't mesh with about I don't know 90 something percent of the world. So, you know, once again, Blake Snell is up here talking about he wants his money, even if it's an 82 game schedule. Explain that he's getting 33% of his money already taken out. So he would only be making about 25% of the money he's contractually signed for. Plus, he goes on and says that he's being taxed. So, I mean, damn, if you go ahead and you think about all the money that's being taxed and all the money that's being withheld and all those type of things, oh my goodness gracious, I can see where some guy in North Las Vegas, I can see where some guy who's you know who's barely making it by in Spokane, Washington, or Lawrence, Kansas, or Iowa City, Iowa, or Chicago, Illinois, I can sit there and have those guys who don't know where their next meal is gonna be coming from because they're not getting a paycheck. I just see where those guys are sitting there going, Oh my gosh and goodness, I thought I had it rough. Poor Blake Snell. Oh, there's no way if I were in his shoes, I would be doing what he's doing. I'm so fortunate that I'm in his that I'm in my situation and not his. Woo! Thank goodness. Just to break it down to hear the absurdity of the rant that Snell was giving. This past spring, he signed a five-year, $50 million contract with the Tampa Bay Raids. So that's an estimate amount of money that he would have made if he played this season, right? So let's just say, for instance, let's go 50 into five, and the five to one, for bringing bring it down, subtract, subtracting, you add, and multiplying, and you add fractions. So let's say, on average, he's making $10 million a year, okay? So he's making $10 million a year. If he gets his salary cut in half because of... The league only playing 82 games instead of 162. That brings his salary down to 5 million. 33% of that is taken out, which would be 1.625 million, which would bring his salary before taxes to 3.375 million if Blake Snell decided that he was going to go ahead and play the season for the Tampa Bay Rays, regardless of they're going to be playing in a certain spot. Portion of the country, whether they're going to just go ahead and play in an empty ballpark at their ballpark, whether they're going to be playing at another team's facilities, whatever. Five million dollars instead of ten million dollars because they're going to be playing eighty-two games. He said thirty-three percent of his salary is already being taken out, so thirty-three percent of five million is one point six two five million. Again, subtraction bring that down to three point three seven five million plus taxes. An estimate around thirty percent. I don't know what tax brackets that he's in. I'm not a millionaire, so. For the super rich, I don't know if it's 30, I don't know if it's 32, I don't know if it's 35, I don't know if we're going by the Reagan tax uh, deal, I don't know if we're going by the Clinton tax deal, I don't know what kind of tax deal millionaires are going to be getting, but let's just say a roundabout number is 30%, alright, so of the 3.375 that he would be making this season to play Major League Baseball, $10 million, originally $5 million because they're only playing 82 games, 33% of that being taken out, Least you with 3.375 million, taxes being 30%. That means Blake Snell would be taking home, not before taxes, he would be taking home somewhere around $2.36 million. $2.36 million. Let me ask you something, man. Would you go back to your job for $2.36 million? Would you go back and risk your health for $2.36 million if you knew that baseball or if you knew that your employer were going to put things into place to where it could minimize your risk of of, uh, catching the coronavirus? Would you do that? Or at the very least, let me ask you this. Last time I checked, you ain't making $2.36 million after everything is taken out for taxes, right? Am I correct? Yes, I think so. I don't know folks who are making that amount of money. I wish I did, but I don't. But let me ask you this then. Do you feel any sympathy for Blake Snell? Do you have any compassion for Blake Snell? Do you feel sorry for Blake Snell in any way, shape, or form that this guy, instead of making $10 million before taxes, is going to be taking home this season $2.36 million for playing half a season. When you're out of work right now struggling to make some unemployment because your job laid you off because of this coronavirus, because you're not working because of the coronavirus and you're not making the money that you should be making, are you having any type of sympathy whatsoever? Are you shedding any tear whatsoever for Blake Snell? I thought not. And guess what? About ninety-seven percent of the population probably isn't doing that either. More black folks believe in Donald Trump than they do in terms of Blake Schnell should be feeling sympathy or should be giving, should have sympathy given to him because of the money that he's going to be losing and the money that he's going to be taking home when everything is all said and done. Talked about the Rona and how it will damage his body, stay in his body forever. He's not going to be playing unless he gets all of his money. Come on, man. So what? So anybody else who goes out there and, and, and does their job and does their work, who are making less than the money that you're making, is is, it, is, is not taking the risk or is in lesser risk of, correct, of catching the Rona? And again, look, you know what? Everybody's entitled to their uh, opinions. I got it. I got it. I understand it. But damn, really I mean do you have to so so did you have to sound so goddamn ignorant about it especially in a time like this? So this is so you know what's I guess you shouldn't say or I guess I shouldn't say what's really surprising because it isn't is what Jeff uh, ESP and insider baseball insider Jeff Paston said on the uh, Mike Greenberg show the Get Up show about the comments that Mr. Uh, Snell made the other day.
2: Blake Snell is making public what a lot of players are saying behind the scenes. Now, certainly part of this is uh, players' efforts to try and cajole the owners and make them know that Hey, money is important to us and we are willing to potentially miss a season because of it but listen we're still in the posturing phase i've been saying this from the start this week's going to be ugly you're going to hear things about money you're going to get angry because it's millionaires and billionaires fighting that's just the reality of this situation this early on in the process the big question is are they willing most literally to put their money where their mouth is? Because if Blake Snell is threatening to sit out if he doesn't get his money and they don't get their money, is he actually going to sit out the season? Are the players actually going to miss a season? I still have a really hard time believing that in the end of the 1,200 guys in the Major League Baseball Players Association they are willing to throw away a season over a cut of money. So a decent
0: number of players feel that way, huh? I, I, I don't, don't surprise me doesn't surprise me but also if you listen to the audio he wants to make it clear speaking of passing he wants to make it clear to the owners that the money is important to them and is enough for them to miss the entire season that's what the player's thoughts and feelings are so not surprised by this or any of these comments as part of the negotiation process okay i guess i figure. i don't know if blake snell is a master negotiator or I don't know by the tone of his voice, he doesn't sound like he was bullshitting to me, but all right. But the biggest question that I have is the same thing with uh, Jeff Passon said, is the fact that our player willing to miss the entire season over this. Again, Blake Snell can sit there and whine and moan about how much money is being taken out of his account or being taken out of his paycheck for coming back and playing and putting himself at risk for catching the Rona. But I tell you one thing, $2.36 million is better than zero because after all, that's what you're getting right now, zero. And the last time I checked, There's not too many baseball players who have like a LeBron James situation or a Chris Paul situation or a Blake Griffin situation or a James Harden situation or a Kevin Durant situation or a Kyrie Irving situation, which means building your brand to where, you know what? I might not be getting a paycheck from my employer in the sport that I play for, but because I'm endorsing this product while I'm endorsing that product, while I'm doing this shoe deal, while I'm doing that apparel deal, I can go ahead and I can still have some checks coming in from those entities. So while it's going to hurt my bank account, no doubt, by not getting that paycheck from the NBA or not getting that paycheck from my employer, that the sport that I play, I ain't going to be missing a paycheck. Now, last time I checked, I don't know exactly what advertisements, I don't know exactly what kind of endorsement deals these guys have. It doesn't have to be Nike. It doesn't have to be a national brand. I mean, these guys could be getting some sweet deals from some local endorsements that they do. So, again, it ain't going to be equaling the amount that they're making from their employer in terms of the team that they play for. But also, at least they're getting something. They're getting a check. And let me tell you something. From a guy who for a while wasn't getting anything, a check is a check. Money is money. Something. Anything. I'll take it. And I know you feel the same way about that, too. I might not be getting the same amount on my checks that I used to be. But damn, something is much better than nothing. So, again, how much longer are these players going to be able? Or how how willing are these players going to be able to go by the fuck that we ain't coming back because we ain't going to mess up the situation that was put in place for us rule? How long are those guys going to do that? Remember, the... Players in, in any other season, as far as baseball is concerned, when they've gone a strike or where they've been locked out, they've had a situation where they played some games or they've had the opportunity to make some money before any of that stuff went down. In 94, the league, the season ended, what, almost a little bit halfway past the season. So those guys have been making money. Those guys have been collecting checks for a while and they knew this was a situation that could happen. So guess What? Six months to a year before everything went down with this, those guys, I guess, were warned by those in the union to make sure you need to start saving a little bit of your money because there's a certain there's a situation where we might be going on strike. So I'm giving you a heads up right now to start putting away a little something-something just in case we have to do, do this, and we don't know how long this strike is going to be. We don't know how long this lockout is going to be, so put away your money, save a little bit of your money before this happens. There was no situation like this in baseball. Baseball had no idea this pandemic was coming, so these players didn't have any opportunity, possibly, or at least because of this pandemic that we're going through right now. These players didn't have the opportunity to go ahead and put a little money for a rainy day concerning this. This ain't a rain, Jack. This is a thunderstorm. This is a monsoon that we're going through in terms of this pandemic and how it's affecting our economy and how it's uh, affecting those who are trying to make a paycheck, so... Sure, I guess the owners are sitting there saying, "All right, let's see how strong the union is." And I guess the players union are sitting there saying, "Okay, let's see how strong the owners is. Owners are." And I guess with the owners, like anything, is like once these guys start missing checks in June or July or whatever, then there'll be a there'll be more amenable to come to the negotiating table and see what we can do about giving a little and doing a little yang for our ying, You know what I'm saying? Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So my, my guesstimation is that either the owners are going to do what they've always done in these situations, which, which is cave, and give the players what they want, or the players are probably going to sit there and say, you know what, fuck it, let's just go ahead and get this done. The f- chances of Major League Baseball starting July 4th, I don't know, man. I don't know what to put a number or a ratio on it, but if I would say, I would probably say it's going to be less than 50% if I think that the players are going to be coming back. I think, again, I think in this situation, as far as the July 4th hopefulness to start the season and what everything that needs to be done and an agreement that needs to be made, it's not like they're going to have an agreement on July 3rd and then start playing baseball July 4th. There's a certain time period to where the players in the union and the owners have to agree, and then things have to be put in place about spring training and how this is all going to work out, and the logistics, and where they're going to be playing, and with consulting with those who know some things about the virus, and the teams getting together, and everything like that. So as time ticks away, as we're sitting here on July, excuse me, on May twenty-third, you know we don't we don't know exactly when this is going to be happening. But my estimation is is that both sides are going to play the game of chicken well into June. So I think maybe somewhere around mid-June or maybe a little bit before that, that one of these guys is going to break. One of these entities, whether it's the owners or whether it's the players, one of these two are going to break. I do think that we'll have baseball. I really do. I don't think that they're going to miss the entire season. And with baseball, especially if the NBA comes back, I don't give a damn either way because baseball has some other issues that they need to deal with in terms of generating some interest among those who have fallen out of favor out of love with the game i still watch the game but i don't love the game like i used to because of the boring slow play, uh, pace and the lack of uh, black folks playing the game of baseball and their unwillingness it seems to try to introduce the game of baseball to the black communities and other communities but that's another topic for another podcast but as of right now i think that baseball will not be starting july 4th but i do think maybe it'll be mid-july maybe it'll be in august that these um teams and that this situation will, will resolve itself and we'll have baseball later on in the month of July. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, the podcast, so glad that you could be with us. One of the things, though, that I, I must say is that this is going to be a miss. Baseball does the unthinkable. I'm only guessing here, man. I don't know. I'm not Notre Dame's. You know, I'm not any of them deals that's going to, be, going to be able to tell you what's going to be going down in the future. I'm not Miss Cleo. In any way, shape, or form, both Miss Cleo's, if you know what I'm talking about. So, for me, it's like, look, I can only give you a guesstimation based on past history, the relationship between the owners and the players, and what's going down, and what's some of the hurdles that need to be overcome, the safety issues, the compensation issues. So, those are the things that are leading me to the guesstimation that this will not be resolved in time for them to be playing baseball July 4th. It's going to be pretty sad. Maybe the impact there. When you hear the uproar, or when you hear the outrage from baseball fans and sports fans, especially if the NBA is not going to be playing, especially if the NFL is not going to be playing, Wimbledon is already going to be done for. So there won't be any sporting events. You can only watch some of the UFC and NASCAR and Bundesliga Soccer league events as much as you can only you can only tolerate that for so long before you start saying, "Come on, let's get back to the traditional sports. Let's get back to the more." Um, Americanized sports such as baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. Let's go. Let's get it together. Now on a day, now on a weekend, or now on a time period where we should be celebrating, we're talking about the 4th of July, where the great um, John Adams said that this day should be met with pomp and circumstance and games and sports and parades, and we don't have sports, and we don't have baseball, we don't have Americana, baseball? Damn it, man. I'm fucking pissed. Maybe that outrage from enough people. In our society will get, will light a fire under either one of these entities to get back and see what we can do if nothing is happening by that time. So my prediction, baseball starting July 4th, save your hot dogs, save your parades, save your all that stuff for baseball because it ain't going to be happening during that time period. But eventually before, before uh, August rolls around or before mid-August rolls around. I think baseball will be played. Maybe not by July 4th, but maybe by the mid to late month of July. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. so glad that you could be with us, speaking about what's going down in the world of sports, speaking about the return of baseball and what is going to be happening because of the Rona virus. What's up, y'all? And y'all got the Rona? R-O-N-E, my Rona. Um, so that was what we were talking about. So the importance of Major League Baseball being the first American sports league to come back, I think it's important. I think it's critical. I think if baseball fucks this up, this is a blown opportunity, a huge opportunity that was lost. If Major League Baseball can't figure out a way to get back, as I mentioned before in my last segment that I was discussing about the return of Major League Baseball, that I don't think it's going to be happening July 4th, but if they could somehow, some way, get it to start July 4th, it would be. Fantastic. After facing everything that went down with this country, with this world was going down, to have on such a symbolic day for this country, July 4th, where some of us, not all of us were liberated and became free from the tyranny of uh, King George over in England. The fact that, uh, you know, you celebrate this day with something as Americana as baseball, which has been in such a, which has been in the American fabric for so long before football came in and ripped it to shreds as it, as it's being the American pastime that it would be such just a great symbolic gesture to the nation, to the world, that, you know what, we're going to be moving in the right direction, that sooner or later we are going to uh, get back to uh, where we were before, that this would be a great first step in baseball, leading that. It would just be so symbolically great. The UFC can't do it. NASCAR can't do it. These other leagues can't do it. Baseball, I know that football has greatly overtaken baseball and basketball is quickly nipping at the heels and there's other sports which have their prominence. But in a situation like this, this is where baseball needs to take the forefront in at least the sporting world and to move forward. And if they miss this, shit damn fuck you on that one. Uh, opportunity loss and damage to be done to the sport. When I, mean, I think about baseball. And I'm thinking about baseball today. Today is May 23rd. I been thinking about baseball on the Wendell's World in Sports podcast, which you're truly Wendell Wallace. Hello. I was thinking about baseball, and you know what? It's really lost its place and importance in the fabric of this country, don't you think? No sport, in my opinion, has taken such a fall from grace from its highest point of influence and importance in this country and our society in baseball, maybe Maybe with the exception of boxing, the heavyweight champion used to be the most the, the most important and the strongest man on the planet but for whatever reasons, plenty of reasons another podcast we can get into that the last baddest man on the planet was Mike Tyson which was going on what 30 years ago. So the importance and the strength and the uh, of, of boxing in terms of what it meant not just to this country but to the world, that's been that's the sport that has fallen off the map the most in my opinion in terms of where it was at this, at its greatest heights to where it is now second is baseball if you really think about baseball but the turn of the century, are you thinking about baseball in the 1940s, and the 1950s, and the 1960s, where it was, the 1940s, the 1920s, where it was, the roaring 20s, the way it helped define our generation, the way it helped define decades, the way it helped shape and form our society in and, and Americana, take it across to other places around the world? It helped America grow, it help America become a superpower, the, the importance of someone like a Jackie Robinson, the importance of someone like a Babe Ruth, the, the importance of someone like a Ty Cobb or a Trish Speaker or a Honus Wagner or a Lou Gehring or any of those guys, the 1918 Black Sox, the way that that impacted our society, the way baseball plays such a major role in this society. The way it was back then, the way it continued to be with the Yankees, the way it continued to be with the Dodgers moving from Brooklyn to Los Angeles, the way it became with Duke and Willie and Mickey, what the way it was with the Big Red Machine in the 1970s, the importance that the Red Sox have for the city of Boston, the importance that the Yankees have for the city of New York, the importance that the St. Louis Cardinals have for that city, all of those things, the way it was back when it was at its strongest to where it is now, Come on, baseball, goddammit! Get your shit together and let's see what you can do to be a leader again. To have some importance again. And your obstinance, your arrogance, your hubris, your uh, inability to work with each other and get something done to try to get baseball back to where it's leading, even if it's for a short period of time with this opportunity that we have because of this unfortunate pandemic that has come on our nation, that has come on our planet. This is a situation where you guys have to spotlight on you to do the right thing and to be heroes, to be champions, to be winners, to be glorified. And you guys, because of lack of trust, because of greed, because of arrogance, because of selfishness, you guys are now going to pass that opportunity on July 4th you guys are not going to have that opportunity. Baseball, July Fourth. Nothing goes more hand in hand than that, right? Think of a holiday that coincides with football that he that fits so well together for the National Football League. Maybe you can say in the NBA at the Martin Luther King Holiday what they've done in terms of recognizing that holiday in the way that the NBA has embraced the legacy of Dr. King, the way he's in em- way that the league has embraced that holiday. Maybe possibly. But as much as I love Martin Luther King Jr., as much as the impact and the strong impact and the influence that Martin Luther King had on this country and on this society, July 4th is a wholly and totally different animal. And baseball has that. The NFL is not happening during that time. The NBA, as of right now, is not happening at that time. The NHL is not happening at that time. Soccer is soccer. That's more of a European. That's more of a world sport more than it is an Americanized sport. You have the doggone 4th of July right there. Nothing is more synonymous with the 4th of July in any other sport with any other holiday than baseball. And you guys are missing an opportunity when this country, when our people, when your fans, when this world needs you to do something. Do it. Get it done. And it goes all the way back all the way back, all the way back to what I was mentioning before about the fall from grace, the fall from its highest of highs, of its greatest importance that Major League Baseball had on this world and our country. It's sad. It's it's sad. It really is. And you have the Tim Curtains of the world, and you have the Butter Olney's of the world, and you have the Ken Rosenthal's of the world, and you have the... Peter Gammons of the world, and you have the Bob Costas of the world. God bless him, Love them. This is not a slight. This is not a dig. This is not uh, any type of, uh, you know, I'm not, not, I'm not throwing any arrows or anything at them, but you have these guys who are reminiscing about the great days of baseball and talking about how wonderful baseball is and how important baseball is to them and all of those things. And for that certain section of uh, population, that cer- certain section of sports fans, oh, that's true. The impact that baseball have had has had on their lives for those guys is true. Peter Gammons and those guys, it's true. George Will and those guys, it's true. All those old white guys who are up there talking about the grace and wonderful of baseball and how Americana and how inwoven in the fabric of everyday American uh, life it is, all that's true. But that fabric is being torn apart day by day by day whether it's because of football, whether it's because of the lack of diversity, at least in the black community, where they don't embrace baseball like they used to. Baseball is not bringing in enough black players. Baseball is not growing the sport as much as it should be, like the NFL when they go overseas and they play in London or they go ahead and play down in Mexico. Basketball, the NBA, the way it's a global sport, only football for the most part and maybe cricket can only compete with the globalization popularity that baseball, that the uh, National Basketball Association has. Yeah, baseball is being played in Korea. Yeah, baseball is being played in Japan. Yeah, baseball is being played in other countries. But as far as Major League Baseball is concerned, the league, Major League Baseball, the impact that it has in Canada, the impact that it has in Norway, the impact that it has in Iraq, the impact that it has in the Philippines, the impact that it has all over the world, falls far behind such leagues as the NBA. And possibly the NFL. And at a time, if you take a look back 40, 50, 60 years ago, that wasn't the case. And I'm quite sure if you took a look back in the 1960s and the 1970s and the 1940s and 50s, and you talk to somebody who was living at that time and say, hey, look, in less than a century, that baseball in terms of its global popularity is going to be falling far, 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 far behind the NBA where you had guys like George Mikan and Vernon Mickelson and Dolph Shays and all of these white guys playing, and playing in uh, Chuck Taylors and shooting, shooting set shots and nobody was dunking and the advent of the 24-second shot clock hadn't come up yet by the uh, Syracuse Nationals owner, if you want to ask anybody at that time who's a sports fan, who's a sports writer, who covered the games and covered the uh, events that in less than a century that that the NBA was going to dwarf the popularity and the importance of what Major League Baseball, they would have laughed your ass out of the country, laughed your ass off the planet Earth. But there you go, man. Shit is where it is right now. I'm just thinking, when when was the last time that baseball, when was the last time that Major League Baseball, think about this, when was the last time baseball made an impact on anything, anything in this country? The 1998, summer of 98? The home run race between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa? The equivalent to what 1961 was all about, Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle going after Babe Ruth's single season home run record of 60, maybe something equivalent to 1941 in baseball when Joe DiMaggio had a 56 game hitting streak and Ted Williams batted 406, maybe the last great thing before integration in baseball happening. When was the last time baseball captivated the country? When was the last time baseball had front-line headline news for real? When was the last time someone on Fox News or CNN or MSNBC, instead of leading off of politics or even anything correlating to the show about politics, when would they squeeze in something about Major League Baseball? When was the last time that happened? When was there a last time a, a baseball player was a public figure? When was that? When was the last time that happened? Again, I can think two instances in the last 25 years where baseball rose above everything else in terms of its importance, in terms of where it used to be back in the day, of, of its influence and the strength of, and its power of where it once was. Again, the 1998 home run race between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, that was awesome, that was fantastic, that was headline news, that led everything, that was center stage in this country above everything else. And then you go back to uh, President George W. Bush throwing out the first pitch before Game 3 of the 2001 World Series game against the uh, Yankee Stadium. Basically showing the world, showing Osama bin Laden, showing those assholes over there who are looking to destroy America, signaling, showing them folks, showing the American public how strong we were, how resilient we were, how we weren't going to back down. George Bush, at that time, the President of the United States, the symbol of strength, the symbol of this great country, the symbol of what other countries are trying to be like, whether you believe that bullshit propaganda or not. Flexing our humongous, strong muscles. The United States showing that we will not back down. We will not cower. That was the last time. And, And for those things, those symbolic things again that were so Americana, where was where was the focus as far as sports directed to it was directed to America's first love America's first great superpower in terms of sports were concerned it turned back to major league baseball that was the last time some shit like that happened as far as you know I, uh, the major league baseball being the lead story major league baseball having the impact that it had years and years and years and years and centuries and decades ago and the only reason why I'm bringing this up again, it always filters back to the United, the, um, Major League Baseball, the organization that sports league now has that opportunity for one, for one period of time, to say that we're going to go back, we're going to do old school, we're going to be the league that we were as far as strength and impact and importance was concerned, like it was back in the 1930s, like it was back in the 1940s, like it was back in the 1970s. We are going to be that league that leads the way we are going to be the leaders not just in sports but in the way that our country thinks the way that our country goes the way that our country gains its strength and gains its inspiration and gains its 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 its, its mentality from july 4th baseball has an opportunity this year are you going to let someone like blake snell and others who feel that way now look there's over 1200 players there's over 1200 employees ...who play baseball. So, maybe Blake Snell and a small consensus of those who feel like him, who think like him, who have the same type of opinions like him in terms of coming back to play, maybe they are in a small minority. Maybe it's a situation where the larger majority is just keeping quiet, working behind the scenes doing what they need to do with the owners, with everybody else to see what they can do. Maybe these guys in the Players Association, maybe these owners and players, the strong majority of these guys have the same type of passion, have the same type of feel, have the same type of desire, have the same type of uh, thought process that I do. But, man, we got to get back, man. This is our opportunity. Let's go. Let's get this done. I want baseball, and I want baseball July 4th. God damn it. Come on. Maybe that's the majority. Maybe that's the overwhelming majority, but we're listening to those who are giving us the most outrageous sound bites. So we're focusing on that, and we're taking the small minority in terms of their thoughts and feelings about coming back to baseball, and we're projecting that as being the majority. I don't know. I have no idea. But this all goes back to, once again, baseball has fallen off its perch in terms of its importance in our society, it's importance in terms of the impact it's had globally, the impact that it has on our everyday lives and our society. Millennials don't give a fuck about baseball, for the most part. I'm not trying to paint a broad brush and say every millennial doesn't care about baseball. But if you take a look at the generations moving down to the millennials... And you ask them their favorite sports. Or you ask them the sports that mean the most to them. You talk about the athletes that meant the most to them. I'm quite sure generation after generation after generation after generation going on down to the millennials. The importance of baseball and the baseball players have gone down, 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 down. down To where it is now. So what is baseball going to do? What does baseball have to do in the micro? To see what they can do to get back to where they are right now. Put on the fucking goddamn game. Give it give us back the game July fucking fourth. Please. Are they gonna do that? I Don't know. Don't know. Impact of baseball. <laughs> Shameful, isn't it? Think about don't no, really think about that. Think about the last time you actually gave a shit about baseball. No, really, really. When was the last time? That home run race in 98, if you're old, if you're even old enough, well, let me guess. If you're you're under the age of what, 27, 26, you probably don't even remember that. I know if you're under the age of 20, you don't even know about it because you weren't even born then. So Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa mean nothing to you. Now, if you're 25 and younger, the only thing you know about Mark McGuire is he took steroids, and the only thing you know about Sammy Sosa is he's trying to be like Michael Jackson and and, and bleach his skin. He looks more like Madonna than he does the old Sammy Sosa when he was slugging home runs for the Cubs. If you're a certain age, that's the only two things to remember about those two guys. Even if you know those two guys are? How many people who are under the age of 25 even know who Sammy Sosa is? Who even know who Mark McGuire is? How many people, when I go back to school in the fall, hopefully if I go back to school in the fall and I go back into a classroom and I'm talking to 17 and 18 and 16 year olds, who are who are, are they going to even know who Sammy Sosa is? Are they going to even know who Mark McGuire is, let alone what they did in 1998? No, whose fault is that? Parents and baseball. But also again. 2001, George Bush throwing up the first pitch, the whole sentiment that baseball had, the way the country rallied around that sport after the attack during 9-11, that's that's gone in terms of baseball's importance now. That's, what, 19 years ago? I mean, take a look over the last 40 years. Let's start with the 80s, where I think, really, baseball started to see, maybe you could say the 90s, I don't know, but for me, I like to say the 80s in terms of, you know, the great athletes that have come down the pike. So you're talking about the 80s and 90s to 2000, 2010. So you're speaking over the next 40, 50, the last 40 or 50 years, right? You take a look at all of the athletes that have had an impact on society, helped shape the thought of who we were as human beings and how we interact with each other, making that positive step no matter what avenue they took, passive or aggressive, loud or silent, whatever they did. Look at the athletes that really had an impact on people's lives, on their generations. You're talking about Magic Johnson and Roger Federer and Michael Jordan and LeBron James, Tiger Woods. Cristiano Ronaldo, Mike Tyson, the Williams sisters, Kobe Bryant, Lionel Messi, Usain Bolt, Michael Phelps, Wayne Gretzky, Diego Maradona, Carl Lewis, Roberto Duran, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and the original Dale Earnhardt, all of the folks and look at the number of sports that I had to crisscross. I was talking golf. I was talking tennis. I was talking football. I was talking basketball. I was talking hockey. I was talking track and field. I was talking boxing. I was talking auto racing. All of those different sports that put that during the last four decades or so, which has helped shape a region, which has helped shape a community, which has helped shape a country, which has helped shape a world, if you think about it. Where has the baseball player gone? Where has a where was a baseball player in all of that? Maybe, possibly, maybe a uh, Derek Jeter? Maybe? Possibly? Hopefully, reaching? Stretching? To put him in the same class of impact. I'm not talking about in terms of how great he was for a sport as a ball player. How great he was as a ball player for a sport. Oh no question, Derek Jeter belongs in that mess. Absolutely. But just in terms of the impact that he had, oh yeah, for New York, New York Yankee fans, he's always he's the captain, he's the man, he's great, he's fantastic. But what type of mark did he make in terms of during his playing career, what type of mark and impact did he make on society in this totality of him not only being a player, but also him being a public figure? Not much because Derek Jeter wasn't interested in going down that avenue. He was interested in playing shortstop for the New York Yankees, winning baseball game, being the best shortstop that's played in this generation, sorry, A-Rod and Omar Vizquel and those others. And he was concerned about winning championships and banging beautiful women. Can't fault him for that. But he doesn't, overall, match up to some of those names or all of those names that I just mentioned. When you're speaking about, here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. When you're speaking about the historical baseball figures from the past, and the impact that they made. The ones that have gone down in the history books. The ones who are legitimate public figures of importance. They helped shape this, this society. They helped move the society, this world, this country. The way this world, this country has become a better place. Become more tolerant. Become more patient. Become more loving. Have become more united. Even despite the fact that we're so divided today. How this person can bring those to unite and to love and to be together. And we speak about the historical figures in baseball who did that. Who were so important. Who were true historical figures. Like a Babe Ruth. Like a Jackie Robinson. Like a Lou Gehring. Like a Ted Williams. Like a Mickey Mantle. Like a Willie Mays. Like a Larry Doby. Like a Joe DiMaggio. Like a Reggie Jackson. Like a Ernie Banks. Like a Johnny Bench. Like a Stan Musial. Where are those guys today in Major League Baseball? Where are those type of figures in Major League Baseball? Hell, I'm not even asking anybody to be Jackie Robinson. I'm not even asking anybody to be Larry Dolby. I'm not asking every, anybody to put down and go through the trials and tribulations and just have to stand strong a lot of times by themselves, like Satchel Paige and Josh Gibson and Ar- Ar- Oscar Charleston and those guys had to do. I'm not asking for those guys to have to go through the bullshit and the racism and the nonsense and the ignorance that Frank Robinson and Hank Aaron had to go through. I'm not asking any. These these players, even the few that are black, I'm not even asking those guys to do that. I'm not even asking these guys today to be even as vocal as Adam Jones, who so eloquently used to um, speak about some of the trials and tribulations of being a black ball player in Major League Baseball. I'm not even asking those guys to do that, but where are those guys of substance? Where are those guys Major League Baseball? Who's the next LeBron? Who's the next Kevin Durant? Who's the next Liam Messi? Who is the next guy in baseball like that? In a sport that's so important, who's the next Peyton Manning? Who's the next Tom Brady in a sport so important as Major League Baseball is to this country? How is it that baseball is not dominating basketball or football like it should be? Or at least get somebody out there. How can I go for looking at all of these fabulous, wonderful, incredible, global icons and superstars and not one of them is a Major League Baseball player? Doesn't sound right to me. Sounds strange to me. Again, is starting the league July 4th all of a sudden now going to catapult a Mookie Betts or an Aaron Judge or a Mike Trout or a Bryce Harper or a Cody Bellinger or a Chris Bryant or a Jose Altuve or a Manny Machado or Anthony Rizzo or a Francisco Lindor? It's, it's, it's starting Baseball, July Fourth. All of a sudden, going to catapult those guys, those fabulous, unbelievable, wonderful, fabulously t- uh, talented baseball player. And if you take a look at someone like a Mookie Betts, who's a great guy, if you take a look at someone like an Aaron Judge, who plays for the New York Yankees, a guy that baseball should be should be thanking the stars and the heavens and the gods above that they gave that they were given this gift, this opportunity to try to promote the game. Someone like a Mike Trout, who many people feel are the best players as Barry Bonds and before that, Mickey Mantle. Someone like a, a Chris Bryant, who could be a star if he doesn't get traded from the Chicago Cubs on one of the more historical teams in sports around the world. You speak about someone like an Anthony Rizzo. You th- speak about someone like a Bryce Harper, who seemed to have the personality, who seemed to have the want and the desire to want a, to want to be like a LeBron James who want to have the same type of impact, the guy who was supposed to be the LeBron James of baseball when he was just a guy in high school out here in Las Vegas, Nevada? How has Major League Baseball fouled that up? How has Major League Baseball not been able to take someone like a Bryce Harper and been able to make him into a megastar? Now, injuries have played a lot into the into, I guess, the lost opportunities for Harper to become a superstar. I mean, Fuck, man! Even before we start talking about global superstar shit, let's start talking about fast-paced walking before we start start talking about you know running a, running a you know a Carl Lewis 100 meter dash. Let, let, let's see what they can do about walking that fast before we start asking them to be a Usain Bolt in terms of their global impact on the world, you know? I mean, with baseball, and you take a look at these guys, man, let's, let's just see what they can do about becoming superstars in their sports, and then we can start branching out to reaching other places. Let's see what we can do to maybe start doing that first. But how had Major League Baseball not been able to do that? How? Why? Tradition? Why? Why don't I see... Well Mookie bets. Why don't I see an Aaron Judge? Why don't I see a Bryce Harper? Why don't I see a Cody Bellinger hawking products? Oh, they're baseball players. What are you gonna do? Have them hawk cleats and bats and gloves? Why not? Shit, when Michael Jordan, if you take a look at that documentary, the um, documentary about the Chicago Bulls, right? What? Wasn't it far fetched? Wasn't it ridiculous? Wasn't it asinine? Wasn't it, you know, foolish for David Falk? to try to uh, promote Michael Jordan like a tennis player? Wasn't that supposed to be a ridiculous notion? Is there some way somehow that Mookie Betts or Mike Trout or someone as willing as a Bryce Harper, we can't go to Nike, we can't go somewhere and say, hey, man, can we somehow some way pitch? Maybe we can do something in terms of Mookie Betts Having his all around, uh, you know, that the all around athlete type of shoe, or maybe we can, you know, start having some apparel after uh, after him, or something like that. Maybe we can have some 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 Nike commercials with him working out and doing some crazy stuff with a with a baseball and a bat and a glove. I mean, hell, if you can have Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods and every other golfer, Roy McElroy and all those, make millions upon millions upon millions of dollars, how long has Tiger Woods been the top endorser in sports before he decided to fall off the wagon just a little bit and have his back go bad and him chasing skirts from Perkins? How long was he... The number one guy, as far as merchandise sales is concerned, wasn't he the guy that was also on Nike? Wasn't he also selling Buicks? Wasn't he also doing things other than selling equipment for golf? You can't do that for Mookie Betts. You can't do that for Jose uh, Jose Altuve. Altuve. You can't do that for Chris Bryant. You can't do that for it. Los Angeles star, Los Angeles Dodger star Cody Bellinger. He's going to have to take a backseat to Kobe Bryant. He's going to have to take a backseat to LeBron James. He's going to have to take a backseat to Jared Goff. Well, maybe not Jared Goff, but you know what I'm saying. Why can't Cody Bellinger be one of the biggest athletic stars in a market like Los Angeles? Why can't Aaron Judge be the number one star as far as athletes are concerned in the city of New York? Who on the Knicks is going to challenge that moniker if you give it to Aaron Judge? Who is on the, Who's on the Rangers or on the Islanders? The Brooklyn Nets, what, maybe Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant? I'll put Aaron Judge up against those two in that fight, if it's done correctly by Major League Baseball, but they won't. But they won't. But they won't. This whole deal, talking about, you know, baseball, the lack of importance and the lack of impact and the players not having the impact that others have, This all goes back to the decisions that are being made, the talking that is being done, everything again pointing toward July 4th, points everything toward again, July 4th. Here's another opportunity ever since the whole 9-11 deal. How many times has baseball dropped the ball or even don't even care? for the fact to try to really promote their game, to really try to find somebody to promote their game. Why not have the same type of philosophy that David Stern and Gary Bettman had when they came in as commissioners, David Stern with the NBA, Gary Bettman with the National Hockey League. It's all about the players, man. When you were watching the Boston Celtics play the uh, uh, L.A. Lakers back in the '80s, David Stern said, "Fuck that tradition bullshit about Lakers and Celtics." You're not tuning in to watch the watch the Los Angeles Lakers play the Boston Celtics. You're watching. You're you're tuning in to watch Larry Bird play Magic Johnson, and we're gonna hype those two guys, and we're gonna hype them. We're gonna hype them. We're going to hype them. Shit. When you're going to be watching the inter-squad or the inter-league game between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the New York Yankees, fuck all that bullshit about Whitey Ford and Billy Martin and all that other nonsense in the history and the Dodgers moving from Brooklyn to L.A. and Pee Wee Reese and even Jackie Robinson for this period of time. Fuck all that bullshit, man. You're not watching. You're not tuning in. And we're not going to promote you watching. The Los Angeles Dodgers play the New York Yankees. We're going to be promoting, you're going to be tuning in to watch Aaron Judge go up against Cody Bellinger. And we're going to shove Cody Bellinger down your throat. We're going to take the story of Aaron Judge and we're going to shove that down your throat just like the NBA did with Kobe Bryant when he played in his first All-Star game at Madison Square Garden. And Bill Russell... Bill Russell. Bill Walton, Isaiah Thomas, and Mark Albert, I don't know if it was an edict from up top, but they shoved Kobe Bryant down our throats the entire game. Baseball needs to do the same damn thing now with Mookie Betts being with the Dodgers, Cody Bellinger, all of that shit. Baseball is the one sport where there's no salary cap, so you can truly build yourself a super team. And if you're going to be building that super team, fuck the team. I'm going to be focusing on each individual player it worked for the NBA why can't it work for Major League Baseball don't listen to George Will don't listen to Butcher Olney don't listen to Peter Gammons don't listen to uh, uh don't, don't listen to Carl Ravage. don't listen to any of those guys in terms of the history of the game and this team is great and this team is awesome and back in 1934 this guy did this and 1972 this guy did that all of that for my generation is great for the younger generation they don't give a fuck about it they don't care. Nonsense. Who cares? Speed up the game, and let's start focusing on the players. Players, 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 players. And then let's give those players the power. Once Major League Baseball, with some advertising, with some marketing, hopefully with a shoe deal, hopefully with the backing of Under Armour or Adidas or Nike or somebody, can pulse those guys up to the position to where they want to reach for that, grass, uh, that 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 ring of being global ambassadors for the sport and being global icons and heaven forbid building your brand that's where we start that's where it begins from that level but before any of that can take place there has to be a starting point there has to be a new foundation for baseball to grow july 4th in in a society that we're living in now, the time of period that we're living in right now, right now, should be the time for baseball to start their resurgence. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. The podcast, growing, getting better, bigger, leaf and bounds, day by day, minute by minute by minute by minute, I keep holding on, I keep holding on, on, on. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Mm, The NBA, speaking about teams, speaking about leagues, moving forward. Major League Baseball looking to resume. Get it done. Now, uh, um, the resumption of the NBA. When is it going to take place? When is it going to be happening? I'm just antsy, man. I wanted to I wanted to come on back. Come on back to me on a recent NBA Board of Governors call. Dick Weiss, he's the NBA Senior Vice President of players. Uh, Player Matters, highlighted scientific developments from nasal swabs and saliva testing to antiviral cocktails to help to get the players back on the court and the league started again when things get back to normal. Now, what Adrian Wojnarowski said on SportsCenter recently was in the area of this.
3: Well, the teams are preparing that they're going to start recalling their players in the marketplace. Many players have returned, have stayed at marketplace, are working out of facilities. Many more around the league have to return and the league is not going to call the players back to quarantine and then start to ramp up uh, for training camp unless they've made the decision to move forward on resuming the season and barring something unforeseen sage at this point that is the league's plan to move forward and play games again this season and try to crown a champion
0: so teams are going to be calling back the players into town have them begin to physically get ready for the resumption of the season uh, the other obstacles remaining to start the season. This is what Orjnowski told Sage Steele on sports center recently.
3: Well, what it's going to look like. There's a lot to be worked out between the league and the Players Association. The union has to sign off on uh, really anything they do here. And teams are anxious and, and players are anxious to know What is the format and structure going to look like? Are all 30 teams going to be brought back? Are there going to be regular seasons? Will there be a play-in tournament leading into the playoffs? How many teams would be in a playoff tournament? Will there be a best-of-seven series in each round, et cetera? That has got to be collectively bargained between the league and the Players Association, and those meetings are ongoing this week.
0: So basically... A lot to be worked out between the owners and the players concerning the format and structure of the league that Wojnowski was talking about. With all the teams being brought back, are there, is there going to be a play-in tournament? Is well, there's, there's going to be a certain number of teams? What will the playoff scenario look like? Are we going to be talking about all the rounds, best of seven situations, questions surrounding where they're, where they're going to be playing? Where are the games going to be taking place? We've heard Orlando. We've heard Las Vegas. Are the Eastern Conference team going to be playing and residing at the Walt Disney theme park in Orlando? The Western Conference teams, are they going to be residing and playing at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas? How would that affect teams moving forward if you really think about that? Because you know the great thing about this, the wonderful thing about this is there is a sense of the NBA is going to be back. There's no questions. We we know the NBA is going to be back. Isn't it wonderful? We don't have to worry about the relationship between the owners and the players union and this and are we going to be being petty and who's the first one to blink and who's the one that's going to show that they have the bigger dick and all this kind of nonsense about who's going to be the first one to blink and play chicken and everything. Isn't it wonderful that both of these entities in terms of the players association with michelle roberts and the nba with adam silver that they're working to get together so when you see situations about there's obstacles to be had about maybe players compensation or where the games are going to be taking place or what about the players safety and the playoff scenarios and the play in tournaments there's for me there's no like there's there's no fear. There's no concern in terms of, oh, my goodness, is this going to be something that's going to cause the NBA not to come back? Adam Silver and Michelle Roberts and Chris Paul, the president of the Players Association, they have a wonderful relationship. They have a great working relationship. So, unlike baseball, who seem to be which one can crush the other, most of the time it's been the players, so I get they have that arrogance on their side, let's say that. But moving back to basketball, There's a relationship there which gives me the peace of mind to know that if they say in the next two to four weeks that they're going to come up with the idea to come up with a date to when they're going to start resume playing, I know that's going to happen. And I know that none of these scenarios in terms of the problems or in terms of the questions that need to be answered are going to be the reason why the NBA is going to cancel the season. Money, of course, is the other reason why, but the relationship that they have, that they've built between, especially Adam Silver, the new commissioner taking over from David Stern, being a lot less dictatorial in terms of his managing style, lends to a much peaceful resolution to these problems and or these these uh, situations, and in turn. It helps you out. It helps me out. It helps the fan out because we're going to have basketball back. We're going to have LeBron James back. We're going to have Giannis Adetokounmpo back. We're going to have Luka Doncic back. We're going to have all of these great basketball players back. We're going to have basketball back again with the situation where this could be a seismic change into how the NBA does things in terms of when it starts the season. Because right now, the way the NBA is structured right now, I can't enjoy as much of the NBA as I want to because I'm so focused, I'm so engrossed in what's going on with the NFL that I really don't really get into what's happening with the NBA until there's about 35 games left. I want more NBA for me to be watching. I want more NBA for me to be talking about. I want to be more invested in more games in the NBA, but unfortunately I can't because my attention is diverted to what's happened in the NFL, especially with the playoffs, especially near the end of the season, and then the Super Bowl, and da-da-da-da-da. My love and my passion is directed after the first week of NBA games, But that NBA League free pass is over, my attention goes back and it dominates with the NFL. If the NBA starts its season in December, which there's a growing swell to do so, then that means the by the time that football is over, I'll have more games to watch. I'll have more games to concentrate on. I'll have more games to love in the NBA because I won't have to divide my attention. And when I say divide my attention, 80%, 85% of my attention won't be what's going on in the NFL. I can shift that over to the NBA. So I, I just love the relationships that the Players Association and the Commissioner have. And it's beneficial for the game. So when they come back and they start playing these games again, we can start talking about situations like, you know what, if the Eastern Conference teams, are they gonna be, if they're going to be in Orlando or situation, what, what does that say for the teams moving forward? If you take a look at a team like, for instance, the Philadelphia 76ers, who were, when the season was suspended, was 39-26 and 26 in the sixth place in the Eastern Conference. Those guys were a bitch. Those guys were NBA elite. Those guys were one of the best teams when they hit their home floor where they were 29 and 2. But on the road, they're one of the worst teams in the NBA at 10 and 24. So now in a situation where they're going to be playing on a neutral site, Philadelphia is not going to have that advantage of being on the home court where they were 29 and 2. But then again, really they won't be having the 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 battle of trying to see what they can do on the road where they're twenty where they're ten and twenty-four. So playing at that neutral site, how is that going to affect a team like the Philadelphia 76ers? What type of shape is Joel Embiid going to be in? What type of shape, as far as injury-wise, is Ben Simmons going to be in? He was going to miss an undetermined amount of time because of a back injury when the NBA shut down because of the coronavirus. Now, if we're talking about what more than two months later, or if the league starts, we're talking about more than three months later, how is Ben Simmons going to be looking? How has it be, have been, have been, has been going? Those type of things. Has Joel Embiid lost his, <laughs> you know, put on some girth in terms of, uh, you know, this is a situation where unlike a lockout or something like that, and I forgot if I don't know if it was a World Janowski or I don't know if it was Brian Windhorse, but he was talking about, you know, there's been players out there because of the inability to go anywhere, depending upon what state and what region of the country that you live in. There has been There's been players who haven't picked up a basketball in a couple of months. There's been players who haven't done any type of conditioning or any type of workout in a couple of months. Now, we've seen clips, video clips of guys like Russell Westbrook out on the beach and keeping himself in shape and going through workouts. And we've seen guys, I'm quite sure if that's the case, I'm quite sure of a lot of guys who live in um, Southern California have been able to see what they can do to continue to play. I don't know how many guys have basketball courts in their houses or anything like that, or on their property for them to go out and work out and such, those type of things. But, you know, when the NBA finally gets back to a training camp, how are players like Joel Embiid going to look? mean he's going to look like Sean Kip and Vin Baker when they came back after the 99 uh, lockout in the NBA? So it'll be interesting. You take a look at someone like the Milwaukee Bucks, who finished 53-12, and had the best record in the NBA, who were 28-3 and at home. How are they going to look now without that without that home court advantage that they have. What does it mean moving forward in the Western conference for the number eight seed? You have five teams that are three and a half to four games out of the eighth place spot, which is currently held by Memphis. If you are speaking about Portland and new Orleans and Sacramento and San Antonio? How are those, how is that going to shape up? How is the new structure coming back going to affect all of those playoff races? again, We're still in the negotiating stage. We're still in the thinking outside the box stage. We're still in the stage of running it up the flagpole and see who salutes in terms of some of the ideas of what the league is going to look like when it comes back. What happens if they have a play-in tournament? What happens if they have only a certain number of teams come in? What happens if they reformulate the way the season is going to end to where maybe it's going to be more advantageous for San Antonio and for Sacramento and for New Orleans to maybe surpass going to the number eight seed. Maybe they start things all over again and everybody is is situated even closer than they are right now. We really don't know. We really don't know. But a situation where, you know, how much of the layoff, what has it done to Zion Williamson? That's interesting, the thing I want to know about because when the season ended, Zion was out of shape and he was dragging around a knee. Now, with this time off, what has he been doing To try to get himself in shape, to try to get that knee back to 100% or try to get it close to 100%. What is the protocol going to be for New Orleans when the teams come back and I'm going to be guesstimating that the Pelicans are going to be playing their games or if they're going to be making the playoffs or whatever the situation is going to be. They're going to be in Vegas at the MGM Grand or one of the properties out there playing. How is Zion going to look? Is there going to be a minutes restriction? Is he still going to be wearing that brace and bulk? Is he still going to be carrying around that weight, that unwanted fat that he has right now only because of the injury? Did not allow him the opportunity to get into the type of shape that most NBA players who play the majority of the season are in right now? So what's it, what's it going to look like? What is exactly going to happen? We, we have absolutely no idea. And if you're someone, again, like a, for instance, the Los Angeles Clippers, I mean, you had Paul George, who was nicked up and banged up a little bit. You had Kawhi Leonard who was nicked up and banged up a little bit. How much has that layoff helped them to get them back close to 100%? How much of the layoff has helped these teams who are contending right now? Some of these teams, like, again, we take a look at the Lakers. We take a look at the Clippers. We take a look at the Nuggets. We take a look at the Houston Rockets. We take a look at the Boston Celtics. We take a look at the Miami Heat. All of these teams that were vying for playoff contention, how much of an impact, both negatively and physically, Negatively and and, and, uh, positively, how has that mixed with what they're doing? So it'll be interesting coming back for that. But then again, as I mentioned before, you know what's awesome? That the NBA is going to be coming back. Tepasa. Bonjour. Bonjour. Bon pasa? Me Wallace. <laughs> Speaking about what's happening in the world of sports concerning when are things gonna be back to normal because then again, how can we talk about actually what's going on in sports, the minutia of sports if there's no sports being played. Ooh, I'd love to be talking about the run that LeBron James is on right now. Or ooh, I'd love to be talking about the win streak that the Boston Celtics are on right now. Or ooh, I'd be loving to be talking about what's happening in this sport and that sport. I would love to be talking about what's going to be happening with Roger Federer and if he can win a, another Wimbledon title. I would love to be talking about the sexy Serena Williams and her quest. To become a champion, the first time she's a champion, a Grand Slam champion, as a mama, we love to talking, love to be speaking about those things. But unfortunately, those things are on hiatus right now. So you have to be creative. You have to take what they, what you have been given in the sports world, and you have to put that in the blender you have to put that in the pot you have to put that in the oven you have to go ahead and bobby flay it you have to go ahead and food network it you have to go ahead and do those things to see what you can get to talk about And right now if we're talking about college football what's going to be happening whether they're going to be starting and we're talking about major league baseball what they need to do to recapture some of the glory that has taken decades for them to lose the shine that they've been taking decades for them to lose to get back somewhere close to their rightful place to where they were at the king of sports 30 40 50 60 years ago if that's the stuff that i've been given to work with (laughs) mm, i just turned what i just turned that chicken shit into chicken salad someone booked me on i can beat bobby flay book me on the show i can beat bobby flay I might not be able to beat him with food, but I sure can be able if he looks me dead in the eye and he says, okay, Wendell, thank you very much for being on the program. What what is your specialty today? And I say, Bobby, my specialty is, as Katie Holmes looks in anticipation, as Jeffrey Zakarian looks in anticipation, I look him dead in the eye and say, my specialty is sports, biatches. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. One of these days, I'm actually going to talk about my love for the Food Network. I watch more Food Network shows than any other thing. And you ask me, what do I watch more? Sports Center, PTI, Around the Horn, The Shannon the Skip Show, Speak for Yourself. The Will Cain Show, Get Up, The Mike Greenberg Show, The Stephen A. and Max Kellerman Show, The Joy Reed Show with Calhoun. If you ask me if I watch any of those shows more than I watch Beat Bobby Flay or Diners Driving and Dives or Chopped or any of them things, by far, without question, I'm a Food Network guy. Show me some Beat Bobby Flay. Show me some Chopped. I miss Iron Chef America. That was my show right there, man. That was some good shit. That was a real good shit. They need to bring that back. But dry, the guys' grocery games on Wednesday nights, yeah, man, that's a that's a must. I can't miss that show. So yeah, one of these days I'm gonna get back and start talking about my love for the Food Network channel and for Bobby Flay and Alex Gornashelli and Gornashelli and all them cats, man. Those are those are some those are some good dudes, some good people, some good people, especially the the Indian woman. Boy, she is gorgeous. What was her name? I'll get back to sports. Hold on for a second. I'm old, okay? I get locked into something. Before I go back, I got to get it up or else I'll forget to say it. Mahit, oh, I forgot her name. But the Indian woman who can cook her ass off, boy, that's a good-looking woman. That is an attractive woman, no doubt about it. An attractive woman who can cook with an accent. Where have you been all my life of someone like that? If you're 39, it's not too late. You can give me a call, Wendell Wallace. My number is 555-Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I might not be looking Denzel, but I am a handsome dude. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Okay, college football. (sighs) College football. Chances of college football coming back this season to start on time. On Wednesday, the NCAA had a vote cleared the return of student-athletes... I still love the way they say student-athletes, don't you? <laughs> cleared the return of student-athletes to campus in football, men's basketball, and women's basketball on June 1st, and that's going to go through June 30th. Now, this is what sources told Yahoo Sports. They said the Division 1 Council is expected to address sports other than football, men's basketball, and women's basketball as soon as possible, and that could, play, took, that could take place sometime... In the uh, next week, the availability of frequency of testing is going to be a big issue. There's going to be no NCAA mandate on required frequency of testing. It will be up to the schools and political decision makers to develop protocols on the test, which cost approximately $100 each. Yeah, that's. I was talking to my man Jay Wax the other day, who is a vice president of recruiting at a very great institution so he kind of have some information about this but I was talking to him and I was just kind of like he made up the point and I concur with him it's like how in the world if you're someone like in my city the UNLV University of Nevada Las Vegas who right now is not doing so well financially or let's put it this way they don't have the money to be doing the type of testing on his student athletes uh, for them to go ahead and do this carte blanche how in the world is that going to be taking place If you're speaking about, my first thing was to say that, well, you know, when the NCAA is talking about this testing and making sure everything goes through and everything, you know that you're talking about the Power Five conferences, right? Let's just kind of concentrate on football, college football, because that's what the topic I brought in on. You know, you're speaking about the SEC, you're speaking about the ACC, you're speaking about the Big 12, you're speaking about the Big 10, you're speaking about the Pac-12. Those are the main concerns in terms of what we need to do to try to get back football. And playing football this season, Now, the teams in the Mountain West and teams in the uh, Mid Atlantic and teams in the SWAC and MIAC and these other leagues. I mean, that's kind of really not their concern right now. It's the big boys, it's the money makers, it's the guys who who put the eyeballs on the sports, the guys who elevate the sports. Those are the teams that these and the conferences that these Division One uh, members are really talking about. And then I guess they figure once college basketball hits, where you have more teams that have impact if you're speaking about you know a gonzaga who's in the lead but they're not in a power five conference if you're speaking about mid-majors who do well and, and are great within their community in terms of their love the fans' love and the money that they support with the team if you're speaking about a Kansas, uh wichita state or you're speaking about a houston or even though they're in the east the uh, big east now a team like a connecticut or one of those type of squads who are not in one of the power six conferences for college basketball. I'm quite sure that the NCAA is kind of kicking the can down the road on that and mainly concentrating on football to see what they can do to make it a smoother return through trial and error with football to make a smoother return for basketball to commence with everything gets down to the get down. But as of right now, you know, when you're speaking about testing, you're speaking about all these things. Again, it's going to come down to the individual, jurisdictions and the neighborhoods and the communities of where these schools are being taken place. As I mentioned before, man, I mean, Val Ackerman, the um, Big East commissioner, the commissioner of the Big East, he was talking about, hey, I'm not, we're not having sports if we can have students back on campus. It ain't happening. Now, for the Big East in football, that's no big deal. But the Big East in basketball, that's a huge deal. And I don't know about such private schools with small enrollments compared to their counterparts such as Maryland and some of these state schools like Villanova or like a Seton Hall or like a Georgetown or like a St. John's or, or anything like that. But with the Big East... I mean, you have to have this resolved in terms of trying to get these kids back on campus, some kids back on campus, or enough kids back on campus, to where these athletic directors and where these presidents of these small schools and such a powerful conference for basketball like the Big East can go ahead and say, all right, we can go ahead and we can kind of do this. College basketball can't be college basketball if you don't have an elite program like Villanova competing in it. When you don't have a historical great school that's going to be on his comments and getting his just do on this proper, such as the Georgetown Hoyas, you can't be having a college basketball season if those schools are not going to be participating. I'm sorry, you can, but it's going to hurt the impact. It's going to hurt the uh, the, the the game, the, the, uh, the college basketball uh, uh, game. So all of this stuff really needs to be worked out. And it comes down to, once again, testing. And it comes down, once again, to which one of these college presidents which one of these university presidents of these big schools like the University of Michigan and the University of Oklahoma and UCLA and LSU and you and, and uh, USC and in South Carolina and all of these Alabama and all of these huge universities with you know 20 30 40 fifty thousand people what is the society going to look like for these presidents and for these governors to say, okay, guess what? The University of Maryland, we're going to go ahead. We're going to allow students back on campus. Okay, Penn State University, we're going to allow students back on campus. Okay, Nebraska, we're going to allow students back on campus. Okay, the University of Washington or Syracuse or whatever, we're going to allow students back on campus. We don't know when that's going to happen. And if that's the case, let's just say, for instance, that we're not at a point where these presidents and these governors are going to be comfortable sending X amount of students back on campus. What does that mean then? What kind of signal, what kind of message are you giving, if you're college football, to be giving to these quote-unquote student-athletes that, yeah, it might not be Fruiting enough for regular students to come back on campus because of the risk of contracting a, uh, this coronavirus. But for these quote-unquote student-athletes, for the ability for these coaches and for these presidents and for everybody else to make some money, you are going to have to sacrifice. You are going to have to risk your health to come back. Oh, and by the way, we're not going to have you compensated for it. We're going to have to have you guys come back and play these games, whether it be in empty stadiums or whatever. How are the optics of that going to look if you're college football? Now, I know in some places, let's just say, for instance, let's just call it out, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, in Auburn, Alabama, in Columbus, Ohio, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, Clemson, South Carolina. I mean, I'm quite sure there there are some, some places, Norman, Oklahoma, Austin, Texas. I'm quite sure there's some communities, there's some areas of the country that say, "Fuck it, let them all back in." I mean, you know, I don't care. You know, let everybody back in. I mean, you know, if that means that we don't, that means that we can have college football. If that means we can watch our proud Alabama football team play. Well, then hell, I don't care about restrictions. I don't care about science. I don't care about risk. I don't care about health. I don't care about any of the things. I've got to see my Alabama football team play. I've got to see my Michigan Wolverine play. I've got to see Penn State play. I've got to see Nebraska play. So the hell with all that nonsense. I've mentioned before, man, if it was tomorrow, let's say, for instance, for Memorial Day, Nick Saban and Ed Orgeron is why I always keep coming out to the SEC for football, ain't I? Boy, I tell you. Send all of your hate mail to Wendell Wallace. Let's just say, for instance, I mean, uh, Clay Helton or uh, Ryan, uh, Ryan Day or James Franklin or Dabo Sweeney or I don't know, any of these coaches in certain regions of football, Football Mad USA, you know, they, they come out and they say, hey, look, Scott Frost at Nebraska, they come out and say, guess what, y'all, for Memorial Day weekend, the squad is going to be back, we are going to be having a full padded practice, and then after that, we're going to run a pseudo scrimmage, it's not going to be light, we're not going to be up there trying to light up anybody, but we're just going to have a little, little little, scrimmage, you know." And it's going to be free to the public. You can come into the stadium. And you can kind of watch this. Do you imagine? I'm quite sure. In places like Ann Arbor, Michigan, and Columbus, Ohio, and in, in you know Pennsylvania, and some places, wherever um, where is Penn State located by the way? Happy Valley, in uh, certain places in the country. I bet you those stadiums, which hold over 100,000 people, I bet you those stadiums on Memorial Day weekend for the year 2020, to watch their football team play, I bet you the I bet you the stadium would be 75 80% full. And I'm, being, and I'm being conservative. Not the party, but I'm being conservative in terms of the guesstimation of how many folks would be out there watching their beloved college football team play. Some would be in masks. Some wouldn't be. They wouldn't care. It's just a matter of, we've got to see our team play. So that would be the situation for that. So it's going to come up to the governors. It's going to come up to the presidents to kind of guide these people in the right way. And don't put it in the hands of the coaches. The coaches want these kids back yesterday. Don't put it in the hands of the uh, players. The players wanted to be back and start practicing and see their brothers and see their coaches yesterday. So of course they're going to be like, sure, fuck it, let's go out there, let's get to get back to normal. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's going to take some uh, more, <laughs> take some more objective minds to come up with a with a solution. Like I said, when you're speaking about you know testing. And you're speaking about college football, and you're speaking about a number of players and a number of coaches and the ball boys and the ball girls and everybody else. And you're talking about each one of them having to go through a protocol to be tested and getting things back together. How much is that going to cost? How much is, How much can these schools afford to do this? How much can their communities afford to do this? It'll be interesting. The ability for schools to have student athletes return will depend largely again on their state and local government restrictions. And even if that's the case, how much of that is going to play into when college football starts? Because you're speaking out here in California, Governor Newsom out here in in California, he's talking about, man, those in Southern California, y'all ain't getting out of the house until August. You ain't doing anything out here in LA until August. That's another three-month quarantine. So you're speaking about Players who are playing for USC and players who are playing for UCLA, how much of a disadvantage are they going to have when you've got the University of Georgia being able to do something in the summer, or the University of Florida being able to do something in the summer, or depending upon what these governors are putting down all over the country, you know, UCLA and USC USC are going to be at a distinct disadvantage. Now, Clay Helton, I don't know what his job security is all about, but I mean, maybe he can kind of sit back and relax and say, "Look, I don't need to win 11 games and go to the Rose Bowl to keep my job." So being a bang a boom Mike can kind of go ahead and sit this out in terms of I can kind of be more stringent in listening to what the governor has to stay has to has to uh, say and follow his rules. But still, I mean, how much of a competitive balance are of those schools where the quarantine and the social distancing and everything else are going to be much more much more lax than those who are? in the position that um, California or Los Angeles is going to be in. All of the things are going to have to be taken into account. But with everything that I just mentioned, everything, the disadvantages, or everything like that, college football, I believe, will start on time, and I believe college football will commence, will play. That's my guess. That's my guesstimation running away from me that college football is just too important too big to fail. It's too important to these universities. It's too important to, to these communities. It's too important to these cities. It's too important to these college towns. It's too important for everybody for them to fail. And you're speaking about a report that came out according to, the Washi- to a Washington University report, which was um, granted to, by ESPN The report, schools in the Power 5 conferences could lose about $4 billion if football, college football, isn't played in 2020, $4 billion. and you're speaking about college talent, which are already going to be financially and economically hit by not having the, the, the amount of students be on campus, and then the amount of games that are, are going to be played in front of nobody, it's already going to take a toll. It's already going to take a hit on these communities, even in the best case scenarios, so I think when everything is all said and done, student-athletes be damned. We we know what student-athletes are all about. We know where their importance lies in terms of when you're speaking about these presidents, when you're speaking about these coaches, when you're speaking about these athletic directors. We all know where the importance of the quote-unquote student-athletes is all about when it comes to that moniker. More about athlete than it is about the student. So I'm quite sure. Yeah, they'll be given much more resources and much more ways for them to minimize the risk of COVID than they would if they were just some regular student walking on campus and living on campus. But still, the risk is still going to be there. So. My prediction is that, yeah, man, that college football is going to be starting on time and it's way too important to fail. And I, for one, am looking forward to it, especially if we don't know what's going down with the NFL. What is going down with with the NFL, Wendell? You're on Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad to be with us. I don't know. I'll discuss that on another podcast. I was so riled up about baseball. (laughs) Look, man, football, the NFL, even college football. We're now in the last uh, week of uh, May, or second to last week, something like that. I don't know, man. I mean, when you're quarantined, do you really know what day it is, and do you really know what date it is, especially when you can't go anywhere, when you can't get your fucking haircut? Jeez, man. But, um, yeah, but look, we're only heading now to the beginning of June. We got June, July, and August. Who knows, man, what's going to be happening with uh, the NFL? I don't know. I don't know. They could be starting on time. It's like, what's going to be happening with the NFL? Well, my prediction is either going to start on time, or there's not going to be a season at all, or we're going to find ourselves somewhere in the middle of those two extremes. We don't know. We don't know. There's going to be some days over these next 90 days. I think college football is starting in like 90-something days or some shit like that. But I think in the next 85 days, there's going to be discussions where, shit, man, college football might not start on time. Shit, college football might not even have a season. Shit, college football might be starting in February and just might blend in with college basketball. Shit, college basketball, college football might be doing this and that and the other. I don't know, man. Monday, it could be one thing. Tuesday, it could be another thing. Wednesday, it could be back to normal. Thursday, it could be great news. And then Friday, the whole world is ending as far as college football being played is concerned. I don't know. I don't know. And right now, because of my watching of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls and the deification and the glorification to get on Michael Jordan, I'm fried in terms of just thinking about this stuff. Once I record this, once I put it in, once I publish it, I am taking... The next 24 hours off. No more sports for me. There's no more sports to watch. But I'm going to try to go 24 hours without thinking about sports. Don't call me about sports. Don't talk to me about sports. I'm telling you right now. Armando, Hoot, Wax, Mikel, anybody. Do not call me and talk about sports. Do not. Forget it. All my friends. Family members, I only got my mom left, but for the most part, all my friends who want to talk to me about sports, all my friends who want to quiz me about sports, all my friends who want to sit there and yell and scream at me about my sports takes, leave me the fuck alone for 24 hours. After 24 hours, you can come back and you can kill me, you can badger me, and you can complain, and you can whine, and you can talk about how my podcasts are too long, that I ramble too much, that I'm going in circles, that I'm singing too much, that my jokes don't make any sense, that that I'm not funny, that my impressions are corny. You can do all that kind of stuff. You can kill me all that kind of stuff. But for 24 hours, leave me alone. Not unless you want to talk about Bobby Flay. (laughs) Not unless you want to talk about uh, Jeffrey Dahmer because the ID channel is starting to have a... uh, what is it? On Memorial Day. They're starting to. Go, they're going to have some. Uh, they're going to have some marathon about the BTK killer, Dennis Rader, and Jeffrey Dahmer, and why did Brittany Murphy die at 32? And hopefully they'll throw in a Wayne Williams and a John Wayne Gacy and some others. I don't know. <laughs> For 24 hours, I want to concentrate on something else. I want to walk from here to Mount Charleston and back and fight a bear. <laughs> Rather than go ahead and speak about what's going down with sports. So, <sighs> one of those worlds of sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Talk to me about chop. Talk to me about drivers, drive-ins, and dives. Talk to me about how the black guy should not have gotten chopped after the second round again. Talk to me about uh, Gaffieri and his grocery games. Have at it. <laughs> but don't invite me on any podcast and don't talk to me about any sports for 24 hours. Um, you know what? But this whole thing. Before I, uh, before I play some music, this whole thing in terms of the coronavirus and people being so, or at least sports figures and sports leagues and everybody being so cautious, and I know you got these jackasses out here who want to call Dr. Fauci a fraud and. We're being overly cautious, and this is no big deal, and 0.5% only die because of the virus, so what's the big fucking deal? And we need to go to church on Sunday because we need our our haircuts and our bodies rubbed down and all of this bullshit, so this is nonsense. Why are we doing this, and why are we being so protective, and why can't I go to a movie theater, and all that kind of stuff? The main thing, I think the biggest fear when you're speaking of organized sports, sanctioning bodies, college athletics on every level, Division One, Division Two, II, Division III, NIA, NAIA, JUCO, doesn't matter. These sport leagues and federations from across the world. Here, I think, and the reason why we say fuck it, man, we've got to be super duper cautious on this. This is the reason why I think they are going this route. Do you guys remember November 7th? 1991
4: um, because of uh, the HIV virus that I have attained uh, I will have to retire from the Lakers uh, today um, I just want to make clear first of all that I do not have the AIDS disease because I know a lot of you I can want to know that but HIV virus
0: I think sports leagues from across the world are scared to death of having that same type of situation play upon them. Magic Johnson, when he came out and had the HIV virus, man, it's like everything fucking stopped, man. I mean, for 24, 48, 72 hours, man, it was doom and gloom, especially that first 24 hours, man. You would have thought the guy had died already because at that time, as soon as we heard that, it was, he's going to die. Shit, he's going to die. Now, I'm going to die, you're going to die, we're all going to die. I could die five minutes from now, I could five, I could die five decades from now, but it was just a situation of Magic Johnson's like, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, Magic's gonna die, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna die, but Magic's gonna die, I mean, he's gonna die, die, he's, you know, this is a situation where he done died, I mean, so it's like, for this coronavirus, we really haven't had that big, oh shit, he's got it, type of moment, now, you know, prayers up for my man Patrick Ewing, he has come down with a COVID-19 virus. He's isolated right now in the hospital. He says he's going to beat it. Fingers crossed, prayers going up to you. And, and everybody, really, who's caught the coronavirus. Patrick Yogi know, is no, no different or not, not more important than anybody else who's come down with this virus. Unless you're like some convicted felon in prison who's there for child rape or murder or rape or child incest or any type of violent felony like that like that if that's the case, go ahead and I hope you die a miserable slow death. But anybody else, any other human being who has caught this virus, they're no less important than Patrick Ewing. But still, Patrick Ewing is a name, so of course we say prayers and thoughts and all this kind of stuff to Ewing. But you know, in terms of the athletes or people who we might know who we really don't know that's caught the virus, the coronavirus, the Patrick Ewing, Kevin Durant, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert Uh, This guy, Danielle Rugani, who plays soccer, or should I say, football, for both Italian Serie A club, Juventus, and the national, Italian uh, national team, Sean Payton has come down with it, Marcus Smart has come down with it, Patrick McEnroe has come down with it, yeah, Patrick, Patrick McEnroe has come down with it, yes, not John McEnroe, no, you, yes, I can be serious, Patrick McEnroe has come down with it, so, you know, so we, we have had names, maybe not the stature of when Magic announced, who was a global icon, coming down with something so sidious and something at the time with HIV and AIDS, we knew nothing about. We had no idea. We thought it was just some guy. I, we, we thought it was just a situation where if you were gay and if you lived a reckless lifestyle with needles and everything, we thought that uh, that's the way that you could get the virus. We didn't know that if you had sex with women, that you could go ahead and get it. Magic Johnson proved us wrong. Easy e proved us wrong. So it was a situation where Magic first came down with it, and he was talking about, I got the virus because of having unprotected sex with women and the high quality of women that Magic Johnson, Johnson was banging on an everyday basis along with Arsenio and Eddie Murphy and Mike Tyson and all those guys. It was like, oh, shit. Man, we got to wrap up our Jimmy with something something fierce, man, because the Magic can get that shit, so it just sent everybody in a panic. It was kind of like a wake-up call to say, oh shit, maybe we should start taking this virus a little bit more seriously than than, uh, what we've been taking it. It's more than just a virus that can affect people who are homosexual or guys who are gay or those who, uh, you know, share needles, or you can get it through uh, blood transfusions or anything like that. This This is serious. This is some serious shit. The coronavirus has not had that effect yet. And God, I'm praying that it doesn't. But you're wondering why these federations and why everybody is just doing everything humanly possible to try to make it as safe as possible for this to happen? Look, the coronavirus is not as deadly as... AIDS, or as some people like to say, the Hiv, you know, but still it's a situation where I think everybody is scared to death in terms of, you know, uh, being a commissioner or, you know, in charge of baseball or basketball or football or football Or UFC or MMA or any other thing that's going down right now, NASCAR, they are scared to death that a LeBron James type level type of athlete in his notoriety and his impact and his fame is going to get up to the podium one day and do the same thing that Magic Johnson said by saying, Look, I've got the the coronavirus. I've come down with the corona HIV. I'm going to be going in the hospital and, you know, we'll see you in 14 days, hopefully, maybe. I mean, God forbid someone like a Tom Brady. God forbid someone like a LeBron James or, or, or anybody of that ilk, uh, uh Lionel Messi, anybody of that ilk, these fabulous cricket players who are known worldwide, who have billions upon followers in their country over in India and such. God forbid if those people came down, or one of those superstars came down with this virus. And unlike Donovan Mitchell or Sean Payton or any of these folks who live to tell about it, Kevin Durant, who's asymptomatic, who live to tell about it god forbid we have to hear that ronaldo is going into the hospital for 14 days and it's 50 50 god forbid we have that report because of him contracting the coronavirus or lebron catching the coronavirus or one of those type of people one of those type of athletes on that stature god forbid please don't let it happen lord but god forbid that has that happens that's the wake-up call And that's the thing, I think, which is the reason why, for those who are out there whining and complaining about, you know, sports should be back already or this is nonsense or this, that, and the other, that's the reason why these sports leagues are taking their time and doing what they need to do and are being patient and doing their due diligence because they don't want to have another situation that the NBA, NBA had on November 7th, 1991. Where were you that day, by the way? That's another podcast for a discussion with that, but yeah. The virus this fall is going to be coming back maybe stronger this fall. So, man, if you're going to be doing these things in terms of the NFL and college football and the NBA and all those types of things, they are doing everything, everything humanly possible to make sure a Magic Johnson situation doesn't happen in their leagues. <laughs> I'm your host, Wonderwall. Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Sing it, Mary. Sing it, Flo. Sing it, Diana. I hear a symphony. I said this before, man. You could take that break. You could put that in a loop for like two hours. And from that first part to the two-hour mark, every single day, at least four or five times a day, you would hear me singing that entire thing over and over and over again. Now, eventually, hearing me sing that would cause you to jump out the window, would cause you to do something as far as maybe cutting yourself, putting a bullet in your brain, doing something crazy, because I would drive you insane, because I'm not Levi Stubbs. I'm not Otis Redding. I'm not Sam Cooke. I'm not Luther. I'm not Luther, fat nor skinny Luther. That's not me, as far as the singer is concerned. But I could just sit there all day. I hear a symphony each time you speak to me. I could, over and over and over again. By the way, Stevie Wonder's version of that awesome. The Isley Brothers version also awesome, uh, 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 version of that awesome. It's the Supremes number one as far as the greatest version of "I Hear a Symph- Symphony." Of course, they're the ones who did it. Second. Closely, Stevie Wonder, third, the Eichleys Brothers. I don't know who else did it, but those three for me is just like, whoo! I hear a symphony, I hear a tenor, it's so deep of love now, baby, baby, as you stand holding me, whispering how much you care, a thousand violins fill the air now, baby, baby, don't let this moment in. Come on! Oh sorry. 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 Back to sports. Back to sports, back to sports, back to sports. Wendell's world of sports. Oh, so Wall is sports. i Wall Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Ooh, is there anybody sexier during those days than Flo Ballard, by the way? Man, that was a sexy woman. Is, is there ever been a day in her life that Mary Wilson was not attractive? Mm. Mm-mm. Otis! My man Otis Redding and Sam Cook boy, I hope when you were hanging with them too. Woo, Flo and Flo and Mary. I hope that you guys came up to their room at the uh, Teresa Hotel when y'all were in New York performing at the um, Apollo. And I hope all just said, hello. What, uh, you know, what uh, what my wife doesn't know, doesn't need to be known. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Let's get back to sports, shall we? The last days, the final two episodes of the last days. Overall, I thought the documentary was great. I thought it was really done very well. I was fooled a little bit. I thought that the documentary was going to be... um, Something where they're going to be concentrating on the just the 1997-98 season, the last season. So I thought they, they'd be going, I thought that they, they had the film crew that came in for the entire season and filmed and everything. I thought it was going to be kind of similar to what Bill Belichick did back when he had Steve Sable go ahead and um, filled the entire season with the New England Patriots. I think that was the year that they lost to Baltimore in the playoffs, 33-14, in one of those years. But that was an awesome documentary with Bill Belichick a few times he's allowed you know the uh, cameras to kind of show him being just a regular guy and such but I thought that was going to be a situation I thought that was going to be a much more compelling interesting take a look uh, rather than just kind of basically do a documentary 20-hour documentary of Michael Jordan how great he was now again it was very well done it was very well done and you know Jordan was uh gracious in coming out and, you know, opening up on some things and letting people see who he was and not sugarcoat some things and be genuine and being honest in his thoughts and his feelings. So, you know, I I applaud him for that. I really do. It's great. Whatever his motives were, whether it was to squash LeBron or whether it was to, I don't know what it was, but I thought, you know, whatever it was, man, I mean, you know, you had a chance for the younger generation who didn't have the privilege of, Going through the Jordan deal. I mean, hey, you know what? It was an opportunity for that. So whatever his motives were, positive, negative, came out, did some good, made him some money, showed some folks about what he was all about, you know, gave some entertainment during a time when nothing was really going on, gave me an opportunity to spend a week upon a week to speak about what was happening. So cool. Thanks. Thanks, MJ. I appreciate that. And again, very well done. So the overall dark doc- documentary viewing-wise, did really well, according to an ESPN press release. After a a slight dip in television ratings for Weeks 3 and 4, the last dance ratings became the final two episodes most, uh, one of the most watched uh, episodes. Uh, The best numbers were 1 and 2, Weeks 1 and 2. Then I guess people were like, wait a minute, this ain't gonna be about the 1997-98 Bulls. Oh, man, fuck this. No, but Weeks 1 and 2 were the best, but... uh, Uh, The final two episodes did really well also. The final two episodes, in fact, averaged 5.6 million viewers across ESPN and ESPN2, with episode 9 averaging almost 6 million viewers, and episode 10 averaging 5.4 million viewers. I guess with um, episode 10, to really get some meat, you had to go to the end of the documentary, or the end of that show, to kind of get exactly what happened in terms of, you know, the breakup of the Chicago Bulls. In fact, episode nine had the third highest ratings from the docuseries. It was only behind episodes one and three. Once again, wasn't episode three about Dennis Rodman interesting, very interesting, or it was, it was, uh, propagandized. It was promoted that Dennis Rodman was going to be the star and we were going to see what made him tick and all those type of things. So they didn't have him go to South Korea or anything like that. But uh, the finale had the 7th highest ratings and was nearly up 10% from episode 8. And it was ESPN's most most watched documentary ever. Every episode blew away ESPN's previous documentary ratings record of 3.6 million viewers. That was set by You Don't Know Bo in 2012. Now, again, the fact that it's Michael Jordan, one of the most recognizable, beloved athletes of his time, our time, any time, what time, your time, more's daytime. So that was a big plus. And the fact that there's really nothing going on in sports and there really hasn't been going on anything going on in the world of sports for months also gave it the momentum and the strength that it needed to be such a fabulous, well-received documentary. And so, so many people <clears throat> viewed that documentary. As far as documentaries are concerned, for a guy who knows documentaries, yours truly, right here on Wendell's World of Sports the Podcast, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. As far as documentaries are concerned, it was good. It was good. I give it a solid B. I'm not gushing and fawning over it like some people are. Like, oh my god, oh, I'm just, I just there's something more about Michael Jordan. I knew it's incredible. No, I'm not, I'm not doing all that. My favorite, I guess you could say, my sports documentary, which comes off the top of my head in terms of what I think about, in terms of my favorite one, was Hoop Dreams. That was good. That was really good. That was the one where Arthur Agee and the other guy, and they followed him through their high school careers and. And it talked about their trials and tribulations and everything. That was the best documentary I've ever seen. Hoop Dreams. That was that was really really good. But as far as the ESPN shows are concerned, this one was right up there. I think this one was great. I don't think I don't think it was better than O.J. The one that they had about O.J. That was really good also. Um, but in terms of the documentaries, they did really well. So congratulations on that stuff. So. I, again, I was wrong about what the documentary was all about. Ha ha! Full shame on you, not me. About you know, I thought it was going to be about what happened on the nineteen ninety seven ninety eight season, but I thought it would take a look at focusing on the Bulls winning their sixth championship, with Jordan being the main star, Scottie, Scottie Pippen, Phil Jackson co-starring and introducing Dennis Rodman as whoever, whatever, you know, and with the rest of the team being role players. So I thought basically this 10-part documentary, if you take, for example, like a movie, like Casino, right? I mean, I thought in terms of the way it was going to be presented, like the movie Casino, Michael Jordan was going to be the star of the show. I mean, he was going to be this ace, Ross Dean, which was played by Robert De Niro. Scottie Pittman was going to play the guy, Nicky Santoro, who was... Joe Pesci's character. Dennis Rodman was gonna be Ginger. Not Marianne. Ginger, who was played by Sharon Stone, the whacked out chick who uh, basically destroyed Ace. And Phil Jackson was gonna be the uh, guy played by uh, Don Rickles, Billy Sherbert. You know, I thought it was gonna be a situation, you know you know, Jordan's gonna be starring. I mean you know, Jordan put this thing together Jordan Productions Company. So you, you think someone else is gonna take some shine away from Jordan? You think you think Jordan is gonna allow some some shining time, some camera time, some glory time, some Deification time away from him? Are you kidding me? This is my production team, man. They know the rules. Do I have to do I have to discuss that story about me spitting on my uh on my pastries when I would go out to shoot all these commercials to make sure no one would come in and take any? Do I need to remind you guys once again how ruthless I am? Yeah, we're making this documentary. We're making this series. It's gonna be about me, 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 Scotty, me, me, Dennis, me, Scotty, Horace, me. Phil me, Jerry Krause is an ass, Jerry Krause is a louse, Jerry Krause is a loser, Jerry Krause is a bum, Jerry Krause is an asshole, Jerry Krause is a bitch, Jerry Krause is everything negative. Then back to me, 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 me. Oh, and then I want you, and then you, and then you. Get this person to deify me, get this person to glorify me, get this person to fawn over me, get this person to talk about how great I am, get this person to... uh Talk about what a wonderful human being I am. Get this person to make excuses for my shortcomings. Get this person to make excuses for my shortcomings. Get this person to talk about how wonderful I am. Get ourselves a documentary. Let's go. All right. Here we go. Michael Jordan, dick sucking, me being the star on three. Ready? One, two, three, break. All right. Here we go. Hut two, hut two. Omaha, Chicago. Chicago. Pippin is a bitch. Pippin is a bitch. crazy. Rodman crazy. Rodman crazy. Hey, watch out for Ewing. Watch out for Ewing on the line, linebacker blitz. Watch him, watch him. All right, Jordan, great, Jordan, great, ha ha, Jordan, great. And then they ran the play, and that was all it was for about that nonsense. So I, I didn't like the way, I didn't like the way they perceived they they uh, showed Jerry Krause. And you know, I know since Jordan was kind of behind this, I know that he's going to take every shot that he can to make Krause look bad. And That was by design. But I think Chris Mannix said it best. A piece that I read. Concerning this, Chris Mannix is a great uh, writer, great podcaster, does a great job as far as uh, boxing and his uh, boxing and his basketball podcasts are awesome. Must listen to, but Mannix said it best on a piece that he wrote about uh, Jerry Krause and his importance to the Chicago Bulls.
5: If you knew nothing about Krause entering that documentary, you would probably come away with the idea that Krause was little more than a caretaker during the Bulls championship runs. But that couldn't be further from the truth. While Krause did inherit a team with Michael Jordan, who was clearly the driving force behind Chicago's six championships, it was Krause that assembled the team around him. It was Krause who came away from that 1987 draft with both Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant mainstays on the Bulls championship teams. It was Krause who traded for Bill Cartwright, who was an instrumental part of the Bulls' first three championships. Krause had his flaws, no question about it. He made some bad draft picks, he made some bad deals, and how he handled the Phil Jacks situation at the end might have cost Chicago one or two more championships. But all the insults lobbed at Krause by Jordan and Pippen, all the demeaning you're seeing of them and have seen of them on this documentary, it doesn't do Krause the justice he deserves. He was elected to the Hall of Fame in 2017. He was one of the best executives of his generation. And make no mistake, the Chicago Bulls do not win a championship without the moves made by Jerry Krause. Michael Jordan was the biggest star, but it was Jerry Krause working behind the scenes, making sure Jordan had the support he needed to win championships.
0: To that. Talked about the accomplishments from the 1987 drafting of Scally Pippen from Central Arkansas. Horace Grant, the trade for Bill Cartwright, who Jordan at first vehemently said this is bullshit, this is nonsense, this is why Krause is an asshole, this is the reason why I can't trust him, this is the reason why I gotta stab him in the back, this is the reason why I gotta bully him, that's the reason why I gotta demean him every chance I get, because how dare you trade my enforcer and my best friend on the team, Charles Oakley, for Bill Cartwright, you don't know what the fuck you're doing, oh, maybe he does shit, well, he's still an asshole, that's Jordan's deal when it came to Jerry Krause. But again, Mannix was talking about the good moves that he made. He talked about some of the misses that he had, the drafting of Marcus Pfizer. I think he spent a top 7, 8 pick drafting Stacy King, it didn't work out too well. But, you know, some other things he drafted, uh, BJ Armstrong, which was a pretty good deal. He fell Phil Jackson and gave him the opportunity to coach. He, he Jerry Krause is the reason why Phil Jackson became Phil Jackson or at the very least He's one of the reasons that Phil Jackson got a chance to become Phil Jackson when he got a chance to become the app when he was given the opportunity to become Phil Jackson. The relationship, I mean, Mannix in that piece in and that, in that audio clip talked about his flaws, about ending the relationship, about costing them a chance to win a few more championships, but he also said what was true. And whether you're a big Jordan fan who just believes Jordan walks on water and everything that he says is a okay and right on time when it comes to basketball, that you know Jerry Krause was the reason why he was the you know, Jerry Krause, the reason why he didn't get an opportunity to win a seventh championship or any of that type of bullshit. That's nonsense. Jerry Krause was one of the best executives of his generation, and he deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. It was a shame. It was a crime. It was a crotch. That he didn't get the opportunity, because he died in 2017, he didn't get the opportunity to even realize that he was going into the Hall of Fame, of, uh, uh, something that Mannix actually said in the piece that he wrote, that he was very disheartened, that he was very broken-hearted. And I'm quite sure that Jerry Krause, to his dying day, knew that, you know what, I deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, but I'm quite sure that Michael Jordan is behind me not getting into the Hall of Fame, and what makes it even more sad is the fact that i'm quite sure if you told michael jordan as of right now if i called up michael jordan someone hand me my cell phone give me my damn cell phone are you give me the cell phone i'm gonna call michael jordan right now 555-702-1212 <clears throat> it's ringing it's ringing man answer the phone you black mic what's happening man hey it's wendell yeah, what's on, man? Look, I'm doing a podcast here, Windows World of Sports. You've downloaded it? Have you subscribed it? Did you give me five stars? And you subscribed? Well, that's what I'm talking about, man. Yeah, nice job, baby. Thank you. Hey, look, I'm doing this. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm recording right now, Mike, and I want your opinion on this, right? I'm right now talking about Jerry Krause being one of the best executives of his generation. I, shut! hey, 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 shut up. Calm down. I... Stop your yelling! Stop your yelling! I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear you arguing. I don't. I don't want to get into this argument again. All right? Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, you won the championships. Yeah, I know. I, I got you. I got you. Look, that's another time. We'll discuss that another time. Look, I got to move because I got some folks listening to this. I got to move on with this. But I got to ask you this question, right? I got to ask you this. Hold on, man. Would you shut up for a second? I ain't Barkley. Shut the fuck up. I ain't Quinn Butler or Ahmad. If you need to be told to shut the fuck up, I'm telling you right now, shut the fuck up. Thank you. Mike, listen, Um, this whole thing about Jerry Krause, you know, as you know, he didn't make the Hall of Fame, and, um, you know, my guess is that, you know, he probably went to his grave knowing that he deserved to be in the Hall of Fame, but, you know, you had maybe some sway on the matter about, you know what, don't let this motherfucker in the Hall of Fame, this, that, and the other. Is that true or not? What? What? Okay, I can see you. I can hear you smiling on your face. You can deny all you want to, but I know that you're smiling right now. Okay, I can tell by the laughter and the fuck yeah that it was probably you who okay, all right. Now, are you happy with the fact that Jerry Krause went to the Hall of Fame, went into the Hall of Fame and he never knew about that and that it broke his heart that he didn't get into the Hall of Fame and maybe, just maybe, he went, to, whether, it right, whether it was right or wrong, he went to his He went to his maker thinking that the reason why he didn't get this honor that he so desperately wanted was because of you. Does that, like, put a little glee in your heart? Does that make you happy? Does that make you you happy about that? Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, fuck you, man. I'll call you later. Peace. Yeah, so like I said, I'm quite sure Jordan was shedding no tears if he thought that, you know, Jerry Krause went to his deathbed, or went to his maker, knowing that, damn, you know what, Michael probably had something to do with me not getting into the Hall of Fame, that's Jordan, that's Jordan, I shouldn't say that's Jordan, I just talked to the man, but, but, joking, but yeah, so, you know, but here's one thing that you guys, Michael Jordan, and everybody else, who feel that Jerry Krause was just a louse and Jerry Krause was overrated and Jerry Krause was, you know, riding on Michael Jordan's coattails and he's the reason why he ever got anywhere or did anything or anything like that. What the Jordan sheep, what the Jordan losers, what the brain dead Jordaniers have to realize is that Michael Jordan, and this has to kill Jordan too. He'll never admit to it. He'll never admit to it, but this has to kill him. Michael Jordan will, will have never. Been the Michael Jordan that we know him now, if it wasn't for Jerry Krause. Sorry, MJ, you don't win championships if Jerry Krause listened to some of the uh way team building ways that you were suggesting. If Jerry Krause bended to your will on how to build a basketball team back when you were playing, I can guarantee to you that there's no way you're winning six championships. I'm not guaranteeing that you don't win any. But there is no way in hell that the Bulls are a dynasty of the 90s if Jerry Krause bent to your will and said, Ah, you know what? We're really not going to go ahead. You're right. Okay, so I'm sorry, Mike. We're not going to go ahead and trade Charles Oakley for Bill Cartwright. I'm sorry. That's cool. You just go ahead. I'm sorry. We'll just keep Charles with you because after all, he's your best friend. And we don't want to make you angry. And I want you to be my buddy. And I'm getting sick and tired of you up there making fun of me and all that kind of stuff. If, if it wasn't for Jerry Krause, who knows? Michael Jordan's career could have been over after two years. Because if you remember way back in the documentary where they were talking about the time that he broke his foot. And they were like, no, man, you can't come back. No, man, you can't come back. There's a chance that if you break your foot again, that you'll never play basketball again. And George's like, fuck that. Let's take the chance. Let's just go out there and do that. If. Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf said, okay, Mike, let's go ahead and do that. Let's just ignore the doctors because, you know, after all, you're Michael Jordan and you run the show and, you know, I'm just so beholden to you and I need you to feed my family and I want you to be my buddy and I want you to be my pal and I want you to be my Ahmad Rashad or Quinn Buckner. I'll go ahead and do what you want me to do. And Jordan goes out there and breaks his foot. And he doesn't become the era Jordan or his career lasts another two or three years or goes by the way of Greg Oden or goes by the way of Brandon Roy. And we don't know Michael Jordan of the Come Fly With Me videos and the Jordan who participated in the 1992 Olympics with the Dream Team, the guy who won six NBA championships, the guy who won six MVPs or five MVPs or something like that. That stuff doesn't happen if Jerry Krause and Reindorf said, look, no. You are not going to be getting your way in terms of how many minutes you want to play recovering from this broken foot. P-E-R-I-O-D exclamation point. That's Jerry Krause. Michael Jordan doesn't win six championships if Jerry Krause doesn't select Scottie Pippen again from the 1987 draft. Scottie Pippen wasn't a, hate to use this cliche or this phrase, Scottie Pippen wasn't a slam dunk. This wasn't some blue chip product from Georgetown or Duke or North Carolina or Kentucky or any of those places. I mean, this was a guy, Scottie Pippa, they were like, wait a minute, this guy from NAIA school, Central Arkansas State? A guy who wouldn't play against anybody? A guy when he started his college career was 5'9 or 6'1 or some nonsense like that? He didn't even play basketball at NAIA Central Arkansas State? as a freshman, and now this guy you're drafting with the number five pick over such guys as Olden Polonese and others, that was a big risk for Krause. That took some acumen. That took some gall. That took some experience. That took some talent. Going out and getting Dennis Rodman, going out and rebuilding the team, not once but twice. he brought in Steve Kerr and... And Luke Longley and Ron Harper and those guys took took acumen. Okay, so we missed on a couple of the draft picks. Okay, so the relationship between Phil Jackson and him became soured and became unattainable. All of that is on Jerry Krause. That's all Jerry Krause's fault. Where Phil Jackson, too bad they didn't use this in the documentary. Phil Jackson used Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen's hatred of Jerry Krause as an igniter. For them to keep going, for them to kind of poke that bear to be like, hey, you know, Jerry, hey, Michael, you know, I know you hate Jerry Krause. Let me tell you else what he did. <laughs> Gee, man, I tell you, man, hey, Scotty, I know that you know you feel that. you know, I mean, as you know, I know, I know, I know you feel that Jerry is doing you like he does, and then in the morning doesn't even kiss you and leave your breakfast or even a note when he leaves in the morning. But geez, you should have seen, you should have heard what he said about you this and the other. <laughs> Gee, I tell you, man. so I mean, Phil Jackson used Jerry Krause as a as a as a chip to ignite and to um, get Jordan and those guys rolling as, as, as a motivational piece. I mean, you know, that, that, that's fair to Jerry Krause, a guy who brought Phil Jackson in from Albany. I mean, that's not right. That's not, that's not fair. That's not Jerry Krause's fault. He brought in Phil Jackson. He saved Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson did the Phil Jackson. Do you realize how many people owe their careers, owe their success to Jerry Krause, Michael Jordan, Phil Jackson? scotty pippen i mean those guys owe their not not all of it i mean you know right now jordan might be seething if he listened to this but yeah jordan doesn't get to the pedestal that he does as far as at least winning is concerned if it wasn't for jerry Krause, sorry it doesn't happen you can scoff and you can laugh and you might now be an owner you might who has been through experience of being president of basketball operations when you were with the Washington Wizards after you retired or now running the Charlotte Bobcats and the lack of success that you have, you should be even more appreciative of what it was to be Jerry Krause and to make some of those decisions. You should be having even more respect and you should be apologetic to Jerry Krause and his family. I'm quite sure that his wife and and his children and his relatives or whoever is associated with Jerry Krause, you don't think that they... They hurt. You don't think that the, you know they, they they have you know animus toward Michael Jordan for all of the things that he said, and still because of your pride, because of your stubbornness, because of how society puts you on a pedestal, you're gonna go ahead and do what Muhammad Ali, uh, Muhammad Ali did to Joe Fraser all those years, and leave Joe Fraser or leave Jerry Krause and his family feeling the way Joe Frazier did towards Ali near the end. I mean that's wrong. Why? Just so just because you're big, bad, strong, tough, rich, Michael Jordan powerful michael jordan who doesn't need to apologize who doesn't need to acquiesce and kind of take back some of those mean horrible things that you did and said to jerry krause that's wrong that's bullying that's cheap that's weak that's insecurity that's nonsense and you should be better than that you should be better than that but then again people will always say if it wasn't for that then jordan wouldn't be the guy that he was okay jordan would have won six championships okay well you know if you're judging my man's stature if you're judging a man on what type of man he is, on how many things he accomplishes at his workplace, then all right. I guess then Steve Jobs was just a awesome human being too, I guess, right? I don't know. I don't know. So, yeah, I think that, uh, in fact, Scottie Pippen, at least Scotty Pippen, who, as we know during the documentary, tormented Jerry Krause also, at least now in retirement, with age and wisdom and perspective, even Scotty Pippen was glad to see, was, 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 Glad to see Jerry Krause in the Hall of Fame and gave him his props about how great of a general manager that he was.
4: We can't knock him. We gotta give him credit, and he deserves the credit because he was the general manager of those teams. I've had a lot of great people in my life, and that's why my success happened. I played with Phil Jackson, the greatest coach in the game, Michael Jordan, the greatest player in the game. Jerry Krause, obviously the greatest general manager in the game.
0: Great man. That's awesome. That's awesome. Cannot knock him because he was the general manager of those teams. He called him the greatest general manager in the game. Calls awesome. him. Called Jordan the greatest player in the game, true. Uh, at least during that era. Michael Jordan, greatest player in the game, true. Phil Jackson, greatest coach in the game, true. Jerry Krause, greatest general manager in the game. George can sit here and whine and complain about, well, you know what? Jerry Krause ain't going to win anything if I'm not on the team. That's true. That's true. Absolutely. 100% true. Phil Jackson can sit there and say, you know what? He ain't winning any championships. I'm not the coach. That's true. Absolutely. 100% ain't going to argue. Then again, turn it back around. Sorry, Mike. You ain't winning six championships without Jerry Krause either. Y'all are connected, man. Y'all are together. And that's never going to end. I don't care how much you badmouth him. I don't care how much you discredit him. I don't care how much you disrespect him. I don't care how much you spit on his legacy like you spit on those muffins and those cream pies and those cream cakes back when you were shooting commercials to make sure no one would take any of them from you when you were on the set and not in your trailer. I don't care how many times you do that. It is a fact. It is there. Without Jerry Krause. Sorry. Michael Jordan does not become Michael Jordan. Thank you. Wendell's world is for horse, I'm your man, Wendell Wallace, hello, what's up, what's going on, what's going down, taking it down, like I'm James Brown, the sex machine, that's what I mean, I'm never using Afro sheen that was from the 70s, 80s, 90s, everybody knows, I'm good to go. Hey man, i am talking about the uh, Chicago Bulls the documentary, the last time I'm going to be talking about this documentary, the last time I'm going to be talking about Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan, as a player for the Chicago Bulls, so sit back, relax, just sink it all in. Let it soak all in. I am not bringing this topic back. I don't care how many titles I win with this topic. This is done. We are through. We are over. I am Jerry Krausing this deal. I am Jerry Reisdorfing this opportunity for me after this to bring this subject back for me to talk again. So, screw you. You know what I'm saying? Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host of the podcast. Wendell's World of Sports Podcast. Wall is so glad that you could be with us. So why exactly was the team broken up? Now, the conventional wisdom is that Jerry crossed with the guy who said, fuck it, man. I don't give a shit. When this is over, everything is going to be done. We're going to be broken up. We're going to be going in a different direction. As I mentioned before, a long, 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 long time ago after episode one when they kind of talked about this and I did my podcast on this, I mentioned before that Jerry Cross took a look at what happened to the Boston Celtics of Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish about how Red Auerbach went too long with those guys trying to win championships, and because of that, it stunted their growth. Now, Reggie, Miller, uh, Reggie Lewis dying because of a heart failure, that hurt Len Bias, his situation. That also stunted the growth of the Boston Celtics continuing with their, uh, you know, being one of the elite franchises, but... Jerry Krause was going to take a lesson learned from what happened with the Boston Celtics, with Byrd and Parrish and McHale and those guys, and he was not going to wait. He was going to do a Bill Belichick. He was going to get rid of guys a year too early before it became a year too late. So conventional wisdom is that, well, he's the main reason. He's the Yoko Ono of the Beatles. He's the person that broke up the dynasty. He's the one that didn't put the band back together. He was not the Elwood Blues in that situation. Well, here's my deal about this, is that for those who want to sit there, and there's no doubt, there's no doubt, that was the plan Jerry Krause had, so I'm not going to sit here and say, no, he didn't. He wanted to try for a seventh. Here's the deal about all of that, in terms of directing all of your anger, or all of the blame being focused on Jerry Krause. My deal has always been, doesn't the buck stop with the owner? Doesn't everything have to go through the owner first? If Jerry Reinsdorf wanted to try and win another championship, Jerry Krause wasn't going to stop him from doing that. Can remember, Jerry Krause worked for Jerry Reinsdorf. It wasn't the other way around. So when Jerry... Krauss came out and said, I don't give a fuck, Phil could go 82-0, we're not bringing them back together. Jerry Reinsdorf could have easily came out and said, well, no, that's not true. Uh, if we win another championship, we're going to keep this bad boy going until the wheels fall off. Now, would Phil Jackson have been down with that? Jerry Krauss would have been down with that? Some of the players on the team, would they have been down with that? That's another discussion for another podcast, for another day, for another program. But Jerry Reinsdorf, basically the work, for what I'm saying is, Jerry Reinsdorf, could have put the kibosh on any talk about, you know what, this is the last ride, this is the last time. So, obviously, Jerry Krause ran this by Jerry Reinsdorf. Jerry Reinsdorf agreed with him. In fact, in the documentary, it said that Jerry Krause wanted to do this a year ago, before the Bulls won their sixth championship, and Jerry Reinsdorf said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to have them try to win a sixth championship. So, there's precedent that was set where Reinsdorf overruled Jerry Krause and what he wanted to do with the basketball team. So if he allowed the Bulls to go ahead and win a sixth championship and overrode his employee, Jerry Krause, and what he wanted to do in the direction of his basketball team, why then couldn't Reinsdorf come out and say, no, we're going to keep this thing going until the wheels fall off? Last time I checked, Jer, I write the checks, not you. So if we're talking about financial or anything like that, that's where I come in because I'm the one who writes the check, Okay. You tell me how much it's for. I double check to make sure if it's copacetic. Then I write the checks. You're not in charge of that situation. So some of this, anima, some of this anger and this venom and this blame needs to go on Jerry Reinsdorf. In fact, I think more of it needs to go on Jerry Reinsdorf than it does Jerry Cross because ultimately he is the one that says which direction the team is going to go. How much was Phil Jackson responsible in terms of the breakups concerned? Because according to Jerry Reinsdorf in episode 10 near the end, he gave Jackson the opportunity to come back.
4: That night, Jerry Reinsdorf called me up and asked me to come back. After the sixth championship, I I offered him the opportunity to come back. You've earned the chance, the opportunity to come back, regardless of what was said before now. I said, well... I think I should just take a break. I said, I I don't think it's fair to Jerry. And I know it'd be difficult for him to accept that.
0: So again, he was asked to return right there. Right there in your listening pleasure. And Phil Jackson said it was time to go, which tells me it was like, look, man, you know, I've dealt with Michael Jordan and this whole circus and this whole deal. And Jerry Krause, I've been dealing with this shit now long enough. I need a break. I want to go ahead and do something else. I mean, it must be tough. It must be hard to deal with a team like that. You must be hard to work with someone like a Jordan. It must be tough to be dealing with someone and working with someone like a Dennis Rodman. So the thought of having to go through this again, I'm quite sure for Phil Jackson, it was emotionally, mentally draining. And he's like, look, man, I've been at six championships. I mean, he went off and played baseball for 18 months. I mean, I've been here for the entire time. I've been here for the entire squad in terms of this dynasty that was built. I need a break. I need need a a little rest. I don't want to do this anymore now. Jordan swears that, you know, we'll come back, we'll come back. I remember in other shows, Jordan was like, I asked Phil. I asked Phil, you you need to come back. You need to come back. You need to come back. And Phil Jackson was like, I ain't coming back. I am not coming back. So I'm quite sure. That Jerry Reinsdorf went up to Phil Jackson and said, come on back, don't worry about it, I'm the guy, you know, this, that, and the other, and I'm quite sure Phil Jackson was like, nah, and I don't think it was, well, if Jerry Krause needs to go, because I remember him talking about, you know, I wanted to take a break, and it would have been awkward, it wouldn't have been fair to himself and to Krause to be hanging around, and basically I just didn't want to deal with that bullshit anymore and have to go through that anymore, and I'm sick of Krause, and he's sick of me, and... He wants to stay, and I don't, so it would be in a miserable existence right off the bat to have to deal with that every day, and I'm really not in the position, I'm really not in the mood, I'm really not there yet to say, well, you know, I'll stay if you get rid of the fact guy, you have one of those type of deals, and I don't think Reinsdorf Allegiance would have swung to Phil Jackson, even if he would have been put that ultimatum. I think Reinsdorf was completely in Jerry Krause's corner, in fact, I'm my guess is very strongly that he was in Jerry Krause's corner because if he wasn't, he would have nixed the, we're going to break up this team if we win the championship in 98. If he wasn't completely in Jerry Krause's corner, then he would have backtracked or he would have uh, you know, put a stop to that type of talk. So I think if it came down between Phil Jackson coaching for one more year and having Jerry Krause continue to be his general manager for years to come, I think Reinsdorf would have been like, well, no, nah, that ain't going to happen. So, you know. So, and I think Phil knew that. I think Phil knew that. So that's why he told Jordan, "Welcome, I'm not, I'm out. I'm done. I'm fried. I just need to uh, go back to Montana, relax, uh, recharge my batteries, look for a golden opportunity to come back to, and that opportunity was dealing with Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant and that nonsense. And believe me, could you imagine if Phil Jackson would have coached for a couple of more years and then gone straight from the Chicago Bulls to the Los Angeles Lakers? And deal with that nonsense that was going on then. Good Lord, have mercy! That's, <laughs> that man, that man would have lost his mind. So yeah, man. I, you want again? You want to put the onus on Krauss? Uh, the reason why? The main reason why the Chicago Bulls broke up? or well, He the main reason? You can go right ahead. But I don't think that was the case. I don't think that was the case at all. In fact, MJ's response when speaking about why he broke up now in the show. They gave him the iPad, and um, they showed uh, Jerry Reinsdorf talking about how financially it would have been impossible for the team to remain together. You're speaking about that at that time. Dennis Rotman being a free agent. Scottie Pippen, Judd Bushler, Steve Kerr, Ron Harper, all of these guys would have been free agents, and because of the success that they had, that financially there's just no way that those guys could have been all been brought back. There's no way that they could have had the duplicate team to go back and try to win themselves a seventh championship. It's also interesting how Jordan kept saying, seventh championship, seventh championship, seventh championship. Yeah, it would have been a seventh for him and Pippen, but it wouldn't have been a seventh for Steve Kerr or Ron Harper or Dennis Rodman or Luke Longley or Bill Wennington or uh, Judd Bushler or, or, or any of those guys. So he kept saying seventh championship, seventh championship. It would have been like, well, you know, for some of us, it would have been our fourth. But, no, it would have been our seventh. So, you know, mindset, Jordan's always going to be Jordan. They're seventh. They're seventh. They're seventh. Now that's your seventh. So we'd be trying to help you win your seventh. Now, of course, with my fourth, win my third, when my fifth. Hey, I'm not I'm not complaining about that. But, you know, once again, we show where your mindset is at when you're talking about win the seventh, win the seventh, win the seventh. It's all about you. It's all about It's all about you. But So the, there you go. You're the reason why we won the sixth. You're, you're the main reason. You're the lead dog. You're the number one reason. Gotcha. But again, it comes back to that do I have to, do I really want to go through this bullshit again? <laughs> I mean and just the way that he came back and was talking about, you know, you know, I could have talked Phil Jackson into returning. I could've talked Scotty Pippen in the back into returning. But how do you know that Scotty Pippen didn't have the same mindset as Phil Jackson? Yeah, man, I, I won I won enough championships. I'm good. I'm cool. I mean I wanna see if I could do this somewhere else and oh by the way with a much bigger contract with much more money i mean George's talking about yeah we could have brought pip back for how much how much are we talking about if you're talking about bringing you back i mean michael you took pay cuts for a long time rightfully so everything you meant to that franchise i'll be goddamn damn if i'm gonna be taking a pay cut no you're gonna pay me back and then some so every dollar that Michael Jordan made when he was making $35, $36, 37000000 million, I don't give a damn if he was talking about pay me $50 million to win a 77th championship. He still would have been underpaid with that type of salary. So I'm not begrudging MJ on that point. But because of the money that you were rightfully being paid in the salary cap, well, then Scotty wasn't going to be able to make the money that he wanted to make. He wasn't going to take another discount. He had taken discounts all his life. As far as being a professional basketball player, just to win another championship, and have to deal with the bullshit that you're going to pull them through, and that the, the underpaid again. No, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. My guess would have been like it would have had to take a whole lot of convincing, a whole lot of convincing for Scottie Pippen to come back and to take another pay cut. You know, MJ, and I'll I'll, I'll play you his response. In a second, about what Reinsdorf was saying about, you know, that's the reason why we had to break up was because financially, we couldn't have brought all those guys back together at their market value. And with Michael there, you know, um, we could start all over and Krause could go ahead and rebuild another championship team. It might take a couple of years. It wasn't going to be something that we could do overnight. But with MJ still at the height of his powers, we could – build a team around him, which eventually in a couple of years could get back to winning championships again. And, of course, Jordan, when take a look at that, and certain, as soon as he heard Krause's name, it was like, shit, get the fuck out of here. He gave that incredulous look like, yeah, right, whatever. But this is what uh, Jordan's response was after hearing the reason from Jerry Reinsdorf why the Chicago Bulls were broken up.
4: In 98, Krause already said at the beginning of the season, Phil can go 82-0. And he was never going to be the coach. So when, when Phil said it was the last dance, it was the last dance. We knew they weren't going to keep the team. Now, they could have niched all of it at the beginning of 98. Why say that statement at the beginning of 98? If you ask all the guys who won in 98, Steve Kerr, Joe Bushford, blah, blah, blah. We give you one year contract to try for a You think they would have signed? Yes, they would have signed. Would I sign for one year? Yes, I would have signed for one year. And signing one-year contracts up to that, with Phil done it, yes. Now Pip, you'd had to do some convincing. But if Phil was gonna be there, if Dennis was gonna be there, if MJ was gonna be there, to win at seventh, Pip is not gonna miss on that. One. Yeah, 92, I was, I was young, full of energy, hungry. In ninety-eight, when you went in, six out of eight. And yet being just as dominant as you were in 91, that's where the, you know, the craftsmanship came in. You know, I think 98 was much better than any other years because of how I was able to use my mind as well as my body. So was it then satisfying to leave at your peak? No. Or is it maddening to leave at your peak? It's maddening you know, because I felt like we could have won seven. Uh, I really believe that we may not have, but man, just not to be able to try. That's, that's, that's something that, you know, I just can't accept for whatever reason. I
0: just can't accept it. Yeah. So there you go on that one, man. Wasn't satisfying to leave at his peak. It was maddening. Could have won a seventh championship or at least Jordan and Pippen could have can't accept the fact for whatever reason. Why they couldn't go for another title? I know exactly why you couldn't shake that even today. Even with all the accolades, even with all the money, even with all the fame, even with all the fortune, even with all the notoriety, everything that's come to you in your life. Mike, I still know why at the age that you are right now, let's see, 56, 57, 58, somewhere around there, I know the reason why that uh, it still burns you, it still haunts you, it still bothers you, because you're a competitor. It's because you're stubborn, it's because you're a... Ultra, ultra, ultra competitor. You are addicted to competition. And the fact that you could have won a seventh championship, ooh, it just burns you. It just eats away at you. I get that. That's what made you so great. That's what made you one of the greatest players who have ever played. because of that competitive fire. So I can understand that. It doesn't go away when you get older. It's not like, yeah, hey, you know what, I'm 60 years old now, so, you know, now they don't give a shit about things. Yeah, I mean, that's your curse, man. That's your blessing. And that's your curse. It was a blessing when you were out there winning six championships and making all this money and having all this fame and doing all of these things that you want to do. And physically you were able to manifest those thoughts and feelings and that fire and that flame of being a competitor and challenging it, channeling it to playing basketball. That's your blessing. Now your curse is that you're 50-something years old. Physically you can't go out there and do it anymore. You can't turn back the hands of time. And now you're just an owner and this, that, and the other. And there's really nothing that you can do about it. Yeah, that eats at you. Yeah, it gnaws at you. Yeah, it bothers you. That's your blessing. And that's your curse of having uh, that competitive fire. And unlike Kobe, before him and his beautiful daughter passed, before he died in that helicopter crash, Kobe, I think, had that same type of, curse or had that same type of blessing and that same type of curse. The only difference I think the way Kobe was moving in his direction was He was taking that competitive fire. He was taking those things that made him such a great basketball player, and he was channeling that into other things when basketball was over. So he was doing it with his mama academy. He was doing it by being a great father and a great daughter, a great uh, 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 father to his kids. He was doing it with the girls' basketball. He was doing it by doing children's books and all all those type of things, which he won an academy award for. Kobe found other avenues and other ways to channel that competitive fire that's never going to go out. It's never going to die. But Kobe was smart enough and educated enough and all those other things, positive enough to find ways to where, you know what, he's not going to be, he didn't have to be, if he lived to be 60 years old to be sitting up there talking about Shaq's an asshole, I can't believe it if it wasn't for his fat ass, I could have had more rings than Jordan and this is bullshit and this is nonsense and this, that, and the other. Which, you still seem to have toward some of these guys who you feel slighted you in reaching some of the heights that you wanted to reach, or at least go for it. I mean, he mentioned in this, you know, he mentioned the fact that, you know what, just the fact, I'm not saying that we would have won. I would have liked our chances, but at least give us the opportunity to do what the Boston Celtics did when they lost to the Detroit Pistons or what we did to the Pistons or what we did to the Lakers. Give us that opportunity. And you... Jerry Krause, in his mind, didn't give him the opportunity to do that. And it fucking just stings, and it hurts, and it gnaws. And, uh, you know, that's the way it is. Just can't, can't accept that fact. And the thing which was funny was is that, you know, like, like winning the seventh championship for Jordan, like after that he would have been like, all right, I'm cool, I'm good. <laughs> all right, that's fine with us. Oh, okay, guys, break it up. You guys can go ahead and do what you want to do. I'm going to retire. I'm going to sit back. I won my seventh championship. I'm fulfilled. Shit. Lord knows that if he would have won that seventh championship, what would have been the thing? Hey, man, why can't we go for eight? You know? Hey, my sights now are on Bill Russell. Bill Russell is the only guy left on my hit list. You know, I took care of Bird. I took care of Magic. I took care of those guys. Next is going to be Bill Russell, the ultimate. And if Jordan was still on top of his game, and still winning that seventh championship and winning that fourth and winning that fourth championship in a row? Hell yeah, Mike would have been sitting up there at the end of that championship in nineteen ninety nine, talking about, man, look, run back and do it again. Phil ain't going anywhere if he has a chance to win another championship. Scotty's gonna take another paycheck. Uh, cut if he had a chance to win a championship. Dennis Rodman will keep his ass under control for the most part if we have a chance to win another championship. Where's Steve Kerr going to go? Where's Judge Butchler going to go? Where he can go ahead and do this? Shit, let's run it back again. So you're going to be in the same situation one year later than you were, at the same as you were in 1998. So, yeah, man, Phil Jackson said it good. It's over. It's good. It's fine. I'm done. Let's just, let's just end this bad boy. And by the way, this... Talk about, yeah, they could have beaten the San Antonio Spurs in the NBA championship. It was a strike-shortened season. Jordan was dealing with a finger injury. So who knows? Who knows? And all of that, even if they would have gone out that way, that still would have been Jordan's reason to come back for a championship. It's because, well, you know, my finger issue, it was a lockout, 54 games. It wasn't a real season, blah, blah, blah. I bet you're coming back. It would have been the same thing that he did with Orlando when Orlando beat him in six games. It would have been the same thing. In terms of Jordan wouldn't have been going away. way. He loved the game of basketball. He was addicted to competition. He was—he loved basketball. He was addicted to basketball. He wasn't going anywhere. I mean, he tried to be a bigger man. Like, yeah, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to be playing with Phil. I'm done. I'm out of here. Shit. What else are you going to do, man? What would you smoke cigars, play golf, and ride motorcycles? I mean, how long did that last? You know, I mean, come on. Come on. fool. He should have played with Tim Floyd. He should have played with Tim Floyd. He should have played, played until, you know what? I'm done. I mean, I'm really done. I'm done, done. But he decided to leave. And of course, being the competitor and being the person that he is, he wanted to come back and play again. Chicago was like, nah, man, we're, you know, we're, I, I can't, we can't, you know, we're, we're going to have to, we're going to have to Brett Favre you. And we, you know, I just, we're coming back out of a retirement and getting and play. I can't, we just can't do this anymore. So he went to the Washington Wizards and tried to be an executive and that didn't fulfill his, quench his thirst? To, uh for competition and they came back and played. So what he should have done, he should have played till the wheel fell off. I mean, you, you can't be you can't be super Mr. Macho and walk away after winning six championships and be like, Yeah, I'm the man and be content with that if you're Michael Jordan, if you have that passion, if you have that competitive fire. You can't do that. You can't do that. So he should have played till the wheel fell off. He should have been that guy. You don't like a boxer, a boxer doesn't want a championship when he's still in his prime and then walks away. A boxer only walks away when he gets his ass knocked knocked out by some guy who five years ago he would have beaten in two rounds. Jordan should have been on the Chicago Bulls until he was averaging 21 points a game, shooting 37%. His knees were done, his shoulders were hurting, his desire to play was gone, and he was getting schooled day after day after game after game by some of the young bucks in the league. Oh, you mean like his last season in Washington playing with the Wizards. That should have happened when he was playing with the Chicago Bulls and. Maybe he wouldn't have been. Maybe he wouldn't be in the position that he is now, where he's itching, where he's yearning, where he's regretting the opportunity, or regretting the way that his career ended with the Chicago Bulls. So, there we go, man. You know, and like I said, don't count out the Spurs winning that championship, and don't count out anybody else, the Indiana Pacers or anybody else. It would have been an entirely different season. Not saying that the Bulls wouldn't have won, but to sit here and be presumptuous and say that the Bulls would have won their seventh. Or Jordan would have was his seventh not going there. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. I am done. I am out of here. You know what, man? I want to save my stuff about LeBron James and Michael Jordan. We are at the three hour mark of this podcast. So what I'm gonna do, I wanna give a special little something on my Facebook page concerning Michael Jordan and the relationship that he has with LeBron James and others. I'm gonna be talking about that on another podcast, which I'll be pulling out in the next 24 hours but you know what this is enough in terms of what i need to do and what i want to be talking about i know i said that i didn't want to be speaking i'm like jordan didn't i say that i wasn't going to be speaking about michael jordan anymore after this and i'm done i'm going to be pulling it away didn't i say that damn and now here i am talking about even before this thing has been edited even before the thing has been published i'm up here talking about you know what i'm going to be doing another podcast in about 24 hours which is going to be about 30, 35 minutes talking about my thoughts and feelings about LeBron James and the relationship that he has with Michael Jordan. I am such a Michael Jordan flip-flopper when it comes to me and my distancing away from Michael Jordan. But uh, yeah, I'm going to save that for a little bit later in terms of uh, my thoughts and feelings about why I think that the relationship that Michael Jordan had with, say, someone like a Kobe Bryant, he could never have that relationship with LeBron James. And I think it's really unfair to LeBron James that he has to continue to bow down and to deify and, you know, sit there and talk about Jordan this and Jordan that, knowing, knowing that if LeBron James ever stood up for himself in terms of the discussion of who's the better basketball player or, you know, his credentials about, you know, who's just as good Michael Jordan or LeBron James it must be you know hard for lebron james to know that if he stands up for himself in that argument that these fucking assholes who sit up there who just love Jordan and worship the ground that he walks on will come at him in full in full force and bring his millions of losers with them to sit there and say, No, you're not, no, you're not, no, you're not. LeBron, you're just you're soft. LeBron, you're a chump. LeBron, you're overrated, LeBron, you would never make it in Jordan's day. LeBron Jordan was smoked you. LeBron, you'll never be Michael Jordan. LeBron I mean, you know, he, he will have to go through that fucking bullshit again. So I got some good stuff from Obama, President Obama, still my President Obama. I got some stuff from Andrea Kramer. I got some audio from Jordan where he's just kind of, he just he can't bring himself to say LeBron is awesome, LeBron is just as good as me, or LeBron is, if he ain't as good as me, he's really, really good. I might be better, but let me tell you something, in that game of who's better, me or LeBron, if I'm going to win, it's going to be like an Indiana Chicago playoff series type of game, type of series. And we're talking about who's the better basketball player. I might win that argument, but it ain't going to be my much. Jordan can't bring himself to do that. And it's nice to know that he has his fan base. He has his sheep. He has his ass-kissing clowns, whether it be in the media or the fans or whatever, Go on Twitter, go on Facebook, go on TikTok, go on Instagram, go on SportsCenter, go on Fox, go on local radio, go on Cal Hirsch, go on Ed, any show that you want to bring out there. Any national show, any Pat McAfee show, any Will Kane show, any first take, any Stephen A. Smith show, any show that there is where they can sit there and go like brainless sheep that they are. Art, art, art. Jordan number one, art, art, art. LeBron can never touch him. Art, art, art. It must be nice. It must be nice. Jordan didn't have to go through all that bullshit. Tom Brady doesn't have to go through all that bullshit. You know, Tom Brady when he won the Super Bowl, no one's sitting up there talking about, oh yeah, well Joe Montana was four for four in Super Bowls. Tom Brady can never touch him. Tom Brady is Tom Brady's overrated. Tom Brady is just the product of Bill Belichick. Tom Brady, he'll he'll never be Joe Montana. He can never be as great as Joe Montana. And Tom Brady doesn't have to do that shit. No other athlete have to pull up with that bullshit or that nonsense like LeBron James when it comes to Michael Jordan. And Jordan can put a stop to all that bullshit and all that nonsense, but he doesn't. He doesn't. And that just gave you the first 15 minutes of what I'm going to be talking about on my next podcast, which is going to be a short, condensed version of one. But like I mentioned before, as you can tell, I still want to get this shit out here. All right, so I want to thank you very much for listening to this podcast. You guys have a wonderful, safe, fantastic, fabulous, constructive... Memorial Day, don't do anything stupid, stay away from people, stay with your loved ones, stay with those who are cool, don't go up to strangers, stay away from strangers, don't go to crowded beaches, don't go to crowded parks, don't go to crowded barbecues, don't go around with crowds of people you don't know, stay safe, stay strong, stay smart, stay good, my name is Wendell Wallace, peace, music.